Hello. <laughs> Hello. 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 Welcome to episode 21. <clears throat> I'm trying out a new intro, but it's not really going very well. Welcome to episode 21 of the After Reading This and That podcast, where we discuss sometimes interesting things that we've recently read online and sometimes we haven't really read anything online and we just talk about it anyway but yeah very special treat for you this week listeners this is a special behind the scenes episode a metasode if you will this is only for the patreon backers at the ten dollars plus level you'll be receiving this in advance of the actual episode 21 you're making people think there's really a patreon when there's not we're gonna have to reintroduce ourselves so hi i'm bartholomew i play ryan on the podcast Hi, I'm Bethesda, and I play Samantha on the podcast. You may feel that our names are slightly weird, and that would be a very understandable suspicion, but I assure you that we are real-life actors. Bartholomew and Bethesda, That's kind of adorable. It sounds like a folk duo. It does, yeah. So yeah, we're going to be doing a full-length table read of the whole script for what's going to be episode 21. Sure. Okay. I'm Bethesda's ready. Interior day. <laughs> it's not day. Yeah, that's true. Damn, this script. We're pretending it's day. Yeah, we. Well, the, they don't mm. know. How can you pretend it's day in your voice? Do you talk differently uh, at night than at day? Most people probably do because they'd be tired at night, and they'd be tired early in the morning. But the middle of the day, they're probably more. Up. But I don't think I don't know what normal people sound like anymore. That's true. <laughs> it is kind of shocking sometimes when you don't leave the house for several weeks and then you leave the house. Some things are kind of jarring. Not like surprise in a surprising way, like I didn't know this happened. But it just in a like I forgot what people were like kind of way. You know, so I don't know. It's kind of strange. Yeah. But I don't think we've ever recorded a podcast in the middle of the day. Mm. So yeah, probably not. People will never know what we actually sound like when it's midday, when the sun is high in the sky. You've got. I think we've when we've gone noon. off the rails early on. We've yeah. gone off the rails early on. This is the off the rails episode that we always wait. Promised. Are you Ryan or are you Bartholomew? I'm some kind of fucked up hybrid of the two. I combined the genetic material of both of them to create a ubermensch of myself. As Bartholomew, I need to think of a nickname for you. Barty. Let's go with Batty. That I no. Let's go with my one. I knew someone called Bartholomew once, and that's what they called him. Sure. Batty. As in, I can't believe you crazy. knew someone in modern day who was called Bartholomew. It that's was such a archaic name the 90s it's like a little girl now being called mildred that's let these names the die old ladies names are in again for children that's horrendous there should not be hipster 
naming conventions. There's you like, shouldn't saddle your child with some ironic name because then they have to carry that with them for the next hundred yeah, years of their life. Yeah, but like fucking Esmeralda is like better than Apple. I don't. So there's like have going that much back of a problem with those novelty like, names. Yet not a name. Yeah, but what is a name? But what do people call this Apple person? Apple. Apple. It's going to get shortened like almost every other what name. What can you shorten a two-syllable name to? Appy. That's the same Ape-y. amount of syllables. Ape. Ape is kind of adorable. <laughs> She's my little monkey. She's my little ape girl. Uh-huh. I rescued her from a monkey sanctuary. Gr- <laughs> Wait, this is what about, abuse. I know. This is trans-species about, romance. Isn't there someone called autopilot or something? Are you thinking of audio science? Audio science. That's kind of cool. That's Shannon Sossaman's progeny. audio science. Audio? Audi. See, it's just going to get shown Audi. Audi's kind of adorable. But, <laughs> so silly. But my point is, it's all... Completely arbitrary and semantic anyway. Why is the sound John a name, but the the sound Apple not a name? I'm contradicting myself because I think I definitely prefer audio science to like Gary. It's all just made up anyway, so anything can be a name. Yeah. I, I was, I didn't actually end up reading it, but I did go onto a thread today where it was like, if people were, were, given names today based on their trade what would the most popular yeah, ones be that's kind of interesting and the top comment was cab like truck driver or co- some kind of driver and some people were like cabby or like big rig or uber james cabby james cabby it's kind of strange how how did that happen even in the middle ages yeah. how did people take the name of their trade I don't understand how... Well, how else... People needed to obviously... Make up names? No. People obviously needed to be able to distinguish between, like, people... Like, families. Because everyone was called John. Like, yeah, like, everyone had the same type of name. So they were like, oh, John, in town. Which John? Oh, Baker. Because he's a baker. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, I understand... What other names are there? There's Baker, Smith, Taylor... John Mayer, his family was historically <laughs> in the Mayer's it's not mansion. It's spelt like that, though. Oh, is it not? No, it's spelt. I'm not A-Y- very familiar with John Mayer or his oeuvre. A Y E R. I think it's not like Mayor. He's the Mayor. Okay, I believe you. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> Episode twenty-one. You know what is that reminds me of. It is episode 21, yeah. How dare you lose track? What does it remind you of? Every new episode, I want you to scratch a new score mark into your skin with a sharp, sharp scalpel. I don't want you to let the wounds heal. Every day, I want you to irritate them with salt. Rough, rough, This is fucking horrendous. Sea salt. It reminds me of... (laughs) It must have been when I turned 22, because that's the only thing that would make sense. But when I turned 22, I think I sent a message to Matthew saying, like, feels bad, man, to be 22 because now I'm becoming an actual adult. And he said, and he was already 
22 at that point because he's like six months older than me or, or something yeah. like that. And he sent me back a, me- a, me- a jokey message basically saying, yeah, I know how that feels. When I turned 22, I went past a Forever 21 store <laughs> and I felt like that's never going to be me because I've already passed the, the check mark. And the, the two things that it brought to mind was A... When did Matthew go past a Forever 21 store yeah. in our little English city? And B, how did he even know what Forever 21 is if he hasn't gone past the store? He doesn't need to know what it is. It's a mystery it says Forever 21 in both on the dimensions. I am. Um, but it's like him bringing up some obscure, like him making a joke about Abercrombie and Fitch. How is that because obscure? Bo- knows aren't they about both that? kind of like American brands that usually only have outlets in big cities like London or We Birmingham. have Forever 21. Not in this city, but we have it in the next big city. Right. The one between here and where Matthew lives. I love how <laughs> careful you're being not to identify where we live. Um, As if we live in a town of four people and people might, could just find there us. There really might be one in his city now because of how they've like done it It up. doesn't strike me as very likely. Well, whatever. That's not the point. I pushed my age. You, like, said something about t- being 22, and it made me think of how you get to 16 and then 18 and then 21, and you're like, shit, I'm an adult. I, you say that at 21, I was like, oh, I'm active, and I don't know, I have no excuses. But I was still in education. I went to university late. So I joined uni, and then I didn't graduate till 25. So I gave myself till 25, I don't know what I gave myself till 25-4, but, like, I in my mind I was more just like, well, no, I'm still, you know, this And then once you got to 25, you settled down, got a good 9-to-5 job, no, started this, pumping out kids. You're messing with my point. No. My point was, I was like, oh, shit, now I'm 26, there's no excuses, I, I'm an actual adult and yeah. no one, like, no one... You know, that means I've still I'm got a year left. I'm well because you messed me up by interrupting me five million times. A good orator is able to bounce back from any obstacle. They're very versatile. You say this, but on the flip side, you hate it when I interrupt you. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I believe it was Jesus of Nazareth who said that. Isn't it Nazareth? Like Toys R Us. Oh, you said Nazareth. I know you, you're confusing me. Yeah, I'm very confused. Samantha used confusion. It was very effective. <laughs> You're the Psyduck of our generation. Stop, fuck Psyduck. I hate Psyduck. He's gone through a lot. I don't hate Psyduck really, but he he's obvious, pretty stupid. He obviously suffered some kind of mental trauma. What does he trauma. do? He just kind of like goes He has to psychic powers, <laughs> but he can't really control them very well. <laughs> oh, okay. That's better than I thought. I can't believe you didn't grow up with Pokemon. I did in terms of like it was happening. But you I just weren't a kid wasn't at the, into- the time, yeah. No, I was a kid. I just didn't wasn't into it. Oh, you were into Barbies. No, I wasn't into. Wow, You're how such gender a normative bitch this episode, honestly. Wow, <laughs> it just cuts off. <laughs> we never upload an episode just hear, ever like, again. Smashing the sound of a cleaver being unsheathed. What a weird thing to say. I wonder if they sell. About sheaths cleavers. for cleavers. Because what possible reason would you need to carry a cleaver around? Belt sheaths for cleavers. What are you talking about? You know a cleaver knife? Yeah. You know a sheaf to put a knife into? Yeah. 
I a don't belt. understand where you the disconnect belt. is. You, you said a belt. Yeah. A belt sheaf. So the sheaf is attached to the belt uh, that you wear. What the fuck? I somehow just <laughs> short-circuited you with the most basic <laughs> sentence of all time. Whatever. So mean to me. I am. I've been through an ordeal. You have. Do you want to talk about that? <sighs> Still so mad about it. Do you want to vent your rage? Okay, so yesterday we decided that we were going to order some food. We ordered some food, some pizza, and some sides from a place. Very excited by this. Are we not going to name the place? Name and shame? Oh, we kind of want Papa John's. We do we, enjoy Papa John's we do enjoy tremendously Papa John's. in general. So we ordered a pizza. Ryan has his own, like, create your own pizza with different toppings on. And... The food arrives. I'm all ready to like. I've already sorted out my sides and drink. I'm so excited. We're gonna watch some West Wing. <laughs> As you do in 2017. We- yeah, we're watching West Wing for the first time. We get an email full of spoilers yeah. after this. Um, don't tell them what season we're on, so no, they don't, don't know. Although, remember when Steph was here and she kind of spoiled something? How dare you, Steph? How dare you? There was someone I on was screen. I was so rationally mad in that moment. I don't know if she remembers, but like, I was like, not cool, Steph. She just not said cool. it so casually, and we glared <laughs> at her like, we obviously don't want to know that that happens. <sighs> That's funny. Anyway, um... And then you open your pizza and you're like... Can I carry on from this point? You can re- you can pick up the trail in okay, a second. Okay, okay, okay. But two things struck me instantly. Firstly, the cheese did not look properly cooked by my standards. It at least. wasn't like melty pizza cheese. It looked kind of like it, was it hadn't like two been... day old pizza. But, yeah. But, it, but you could tell it looked like that because it wasn't cooked properly, which I know doesn't really make sense, but... The cheese wasn't as well done as it should be on a oven-fired pizza. It looked like it had been... It looked like microwave cheese. Like, yeah. you know, when you make a toasty in the microwave? So that was the first thing. And that always... To be honest, I've eaten pizzas that have the cheese like that, and they're usually okay. So it's not like a deal breaker instantly. But I will say that the pizza is usually at best mediocre. It will never be a good pizza if the cheese hasn't been done properly. And especially when you're paying a premium from somewhere like Pepper John's, you yeah. expect it to be like I will say pitch as well, perfectly done. We don't eat out very often, so no. when we do, it's like oh, we're spe- we're deciding to spend this amount. And for people who don't live in the UK, fast food here is expensive. I know fast food is known to be like quite cheap in in America, for instance, but it's not here. For a pizza alone, it's like nearly nineteen pounds. That's from Papa John's. That's though. from Papa. There yeah. are cheap. But Domino's pizza is more outlets. or less the same. It, obviously, you can get. Usually, you get like codes and like discounts, and you get a deal. But still, I'm just saying, like, it's not like oh, let's just order food and it's no big deal. It is a big deal. You want it to be right because you're paying. Yeah. And I'm definitely someone who like if something's wrong, I say so. Of course, yeah. I am I'm that too. guy in the restaurant who like sends it back five times. This happened to me. Oh, we'll get onto that afterwards. Sure, you're teasing a future story. <laughs> okay, so that was one problem. But like I said, that wasn't the end of the world. But what the real problem was, I have tuna on my pizza as one of the toppings. And on several of the pieces, it didn't look like tuna. It looked like something else. We sound like such twats who <laughs> decided. 
<laughs> but this is a big deal, okay? Because it's food. Well, it was the wrong topping. Yeah, I know. It did not look like tuna. It didn't tuna. look tuna. I picked up the pieces of topping and it didn't smell like tuna. The, it didn't yeah. look like tuna. The first piece I picked up smelled like bacon or like or ham. ham or something. Yeah. And so, obviously, but well... We should also say on the pizza boxes themselves, it says like the Papa John's guarantee. Yeah. Where if you're not, for whatever reason, satisfied with your pizza, call us and we'll make you another one, no questions asked. Which is exactly what you'd expect somewhere of good quality to have. And so you called up. Well, time was getting on. We had ordered like quite late to close in. So by this time it was like 25 to 11. Right. And they close at 11. So I quickly called and was like, you've sent us a pizza and it has the wrong toppings on or it has toppings on that aren't supposed to be on there. And straight away he was like, what? He, he asked me what toppings and I told him and he was like, uh, no, that's not possible. And I was like, what do, what do you mean? I was like, Trying to, like, tell him, well, it is possible because I've got it right here in front of me. Why are you arguing with me? I know, why are you arguing with me? He goes away and he asks someone something and he comes back and he says, I asked my colleague and he said he only put tuna on it. And I'm like, well, that's neither here nor there, is it? What I said, I'm not sure why you're arguing with me, but you've given me a pizza that's wrong. And he was like, well, there's nothing I can do because the manager's out on the delivery well, we we didn't know was the guy who just delivered the food was the manager. See, he kept saying the manager. He I don't know if he was new or he just didn't know what to do in that situation. As if kept, this is the first time that it, a pizza's had yeah, the wrong toppings it can't, on. It can't have not happened before. And he just kept saying the manager's out, so I'll have to wait till he gets back. And I said no, because I I said no. Basically, my idea in my head, I was like no, because you're going to close. And I've got my food here waiting, so we need to be sent, like, the whole food. And um, so he, he, I said, you have to call him. Don't wait for him to get back. You have to call him because he obviously has, like, a mobile phone. So he called, and then he called me back, and he was just saying the same thing. He was like, I know it's only tuna. I know it's only tuna. I'm like, why the fuck are you arguing with me? Um, then you took the phone away from me yeah. and you, I got on the phone and you were like, what's happening? And he was like, you tell me what's happening. Yeah. As if we were trying to like scam Papa John's out right. of the pizza, which doesn't make any sense because he then went on to tell you that he would have to come and look at the pizza to make sure it is wrong before they can do anything. And at this point now it's 10 to 11. He also said it was too late to make another pizza he, that night. He said the cook's gone home, which is bullshit. Like, because if someone go, if you're open, if you walk in a quarter to or ten to eleven, they're not going to say we're not cooking pizza anymore. They're open, so surely that would mean that they cook until like eleven. Either way, I doubt they send the cook home early. That's such crap. Um, it was clearly that he didn't think. What we were saying was going to be true, so he was going to come yeah. and disprove it. So he was like, I can either give you a free pizza for another time, which doesn't, doesn't really help us. help us because, like I said, we don't really eat out very often. Um, and you had your food ready to be eaten. Exactly. So, and let me also say that we part of what we ordered in is because we didn't really have the stuff in for me to eat that day. Like, we hadn't got our groceries yet. And so I was very much like... We have to order in because I don't have anything to eat. Um, so I was getting more and more mad at this point. 
And it was a Sunday night, so it's not like I could have just went to the supermarket late night. Yeah, so... And we don't drive either, which makes it even worse, so... But Noah was open 24 hours anyway. No, no, no. Um, yeah, so... We go come off the phone. I ask you what's going on. You tell me what's going on. I put my food in the oven just in case, like, we can figure this out and I can still eat my food. Not to cook, just to be in a just hot to he- Yeah, just box. to keep it warm. Um... It's like 10 past 11, so it's been 20 minutes now. It took them shorter than that to cook the food and deliver it to us. So I was like, are they even coming at this point? Like, what's happening? I said, we're going to give them five more minutes, and then I'm going to eat my food. Because if we wait and they don't show up, and then the food go- like, more yeah. food is going to go to waste. And then we can just call tomorrow and get a refund or whatever. But... Five or ten minutes later, they showed up. And two of them came. He, like, bought someone he with him. Up. Yeah. Pizza boy back up. <laughs> and um, straight away, he was trying to, like, argue his case before we'd even said anything. He was very confrontational, yeah. unnecessarily. So I was, like, I even gave that whole, you know how, like, some people say they're allergic to things so that they won't be given a certain ingredient at a restaurant because often you say I don't want it cooked anywhere near blah 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 and they will still cook it and you can taste it because a lot of people are like oh but you can't taste the blah 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 I'm like well if you don't like something and you taste something you don't like you can taste it no matter how subtle it is so I kind of gave that whole story of like I had checked the pizza because you can't eat ham (laughs) I know it sounds really funny now. But I was like, so I saw what I thought wasn't tuna and I tasted it and it definitely wasn't tuna. And I said, so it was very important that, that Ryan not have tuna, like anything other than tuna on his pizza. And he was like, well, we don't do ham, which is a lie. Well, first he said that and then he was like, the ham is in a completely different section of the countertop. And then, and then he said, I checked the CCTV, <laughs> which was hilarious. He said, this As is if he could we... do some CSI style zoom in yeah. and see what was in the guy's hand as he was sprinkling it on the pizza. And also, how would he know if it was our pizza? Right. Like, maybe we were the last pizza of the night, but I, I don't doubt. think so. I don't Not based think on the so. time we ordered. Exactly. So he was like, that's why we took so long because I was checking the CCTV cameras. I'm like, bullshit. So. He's arguing. He goes, where is the ham? And I'm like, We took it off and tasted it. I tasted it to make sure it wasn't tuna. And And he said you should have kept it. (laughs) As if we should have put it in little evidence bags and labelled it. So he could take it and put it under his microscope. Yeah. So he basically came and was saying to us, it's tuna on the pizza, it's tuna. And I, I was trying to stay civil and reasonable and respectful, as you should in these situations. But I basically stopped him at one point and said, listen, I know what tuna looks like. I know what tuna smells like. I know what ham looks like. I know what ham smells like. This wasn't tuna. And at that point, he was still just saying, there's no way. There's no way it was tuna. Again, as we've said before, why are you even arguing with us? You have this no quibble return policy on the very front of your box in big print Uh, so you should have just delivered me another pizza or given me a refund instantly and at one point he's like don't worry i'm gonna give you a refund and you can keep the pizza and i'm like we don't want the pizza i said what about this whole thing makes you think we're trying to scam you out of a pizza and get a refund really late on a sunday night we get you to come out so now we can't even eat the pizza because the pizza's cold it's like you're being ridiculous so 
Yeah, I said to him when he was like, and you can keep the pizza, as if he was granting us some favor. <laughs> I said, no, you take the pizza with you. It's the wrong pizza. We don't want it. And so then he took the sides as well because he was going to give us a full refund. So we had to give back all the food and he gave us a full refund. And like you said, he seemed to think that we were either mistaken or trying to pull something. Yeah. But what possible reason could we have for ordering all this food that we obviously wanted, calling you and telling you that the pizza was wrong, having you come all the way out so that we had to just sit around for half an hour waiting for you to yeah. come, giving you all the food back and getting our money back. So we come back to the very start of where we were with nothing gained. Can you think of any possible reason why we would have done this if we didn't think for sure this was the wrong pizza? He even offered us a free pizza for next time. And surely if that's what we were trying to gain, he offered it to us. Yeah. And we said no. So I don't know why. It was just so maddening. I know in the scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But when it's like late on a Sunday night, you haven't got your groceries yet. You don't drive. You've ordered some food. You don't usually order food. So it's like, you know. Someone's arguing with you that you're wrong when they can't see the pizza in question. At like 20 to midnight arguing in the stairwell yeah. about like and then at one point rudy ran out <laughs> because we had the door wide open because we were both standing there we're arguing this out with this guy and his pizza boy minion and rudy just don't be mean about pizza people no i'm pizza just saying people. the other guy was just standing there glaring yeah, at us as if he was back he up. was back up, he yeah. was muscle and then Rudy just runs out between your legs and tries to go up the stairs. And I have to step out and yeah. stop the discussion to grab him. I know it's like when people are like, don't get, <clears throat> you're getting mad at like customer service or like retail people and they, they can't do anything about it. Whatever's gone wrong is beyond their control. But this was not the case. They gave us the wrong pizza and then they didn't want to try and this fix it. This guy was it. just actually being They a made us wait around while they came out to make sure. It's like, you're just being silly now. You know? So, anyway. We got the full refund. So, we got the full refund. They leave. It's now after half 11. It's like 25 to 12. On a Sunday night. On a Sunday night. I'm pretty sure everything's closed. I'm sitting there and I'm fucking ragey. I'm really ragey. Mostly because they came out. They were so, like, adamant that they couldn't have possibly done anything wrong. And that this pizza couldn't be wrong. That they came all the way out. To check. To check. And now I didn't have any food. <clears throat> so basically we only really ever eat from Papa John's so my mum was a little bit like there's no possible alternative and then I remembered that maybe Domino's might be open because I know f like for in the week that or like on a Friday or Saturday it's open till like 4am so I thought maybe it'd be open later on a Sunday and it was still open it was opening till 12 so I just quickly got on there and made a delivery I started making you some food because you don't like dominoes so you didn't want um yeah i was just pizza. gonna have a normal meal and there was ingredients in the house for you to have a meal so i made you some food <clears throat> then we get a phone call like dominoes is down the street i mean not quite as close so that you could walk it you would walk it on a sunday night but it is really quick so it arrived quite quickly and the guy, we often, when we have deliveries for things, we often get phone calls of people unable to find our apartment building. Now, it's not a hard building to find. The reason why I think people have trouble is because it's on a corner. So 
technically you could say that half the building is on one street and half the building is on another street. But none of the front doors to the building are on that other street that people often think it's on. So it really frustrates me when people just, like taxi drivers, they're always trying to drop me off out there. And even though it doesn't seem like a big deal, it is a big deal. Because it's a main road. Around the corner at night, that's a big deal. There are also quite a few things across the street that I don't really want to be near late at night. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So people often get confused about where the thing is. The thing is, though, I don't even really think that 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 initially is what could cause confusion. But what happens is, is they look at what they think should be the front of the building because that's what's on the main road. And they just stop trying. They just call you and say, I don't know where you are. And I'm like, okay, come onto the street where I actually live, the address I've given you. And then maybe try to find the front door. It's really not difficult. So we often get calls saying, like, I'm outside, where's the door, blah, blah, blah. And we have a car park in our building. But the car park has gates. And you can only get in the gates if you have, like, a fob to press the button to open it. It's not censored, so you can't just drive up to it and expect it to open. Somehow this guy was in my car park, but I didn't know that because he didn't actually say that on the phone. He kept saying he was on the main road, come out to the main road. But he'd infiltrated the compound. And I was saying to him, no, you have to come up to the building, buzz the uh, number and I'll let you in. And he's like, I can't enter the building. I'm not allowed to enter the building. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, okay, just come up to the front door so I know you're here and I will come down and get the food. But he didn't know what he was talking about, and I didn't know what he was talking about. So I then sent Ryan down, but I, because it was really late at night, I didn't want you to go down anywhere. <laughs> As if, if we get attacked, you're going to be there with your shuriken and your kung fu moves Look, to save me. Look, don't underestimate me, okay? In my mind, it's better if we just both go. So... We go down, we even walk down to the main road, which is where he told me he was, and he wasn't there. So I call him, and I'm like, where are you? But there was a red herring in that there was a car parked on that main road by our apartment building with its hazard lights on flashing. And so I was like, of course, that's the car. I walk up to it, and no one's in there. (laughs) It's like some kind of ghost story. (laughs) It's also, like, wet and rainy. So it's like... so, And I'm out there in my flip-flops. So... We walk back up to our building and as he's still trying to talk to me, I don't really know what he's trying to say. And then a woman comes on the phone and I immediately think that it's someone from Domino's because I don't know, maybe he patched her in somehow or transferred me in. And she's like, the pizza's here. And I'm like... What do you mean the pizza's here? <laughs> I'm standing outside the building. He even made me walk down to the, the main road and he's not here. The pizza's here. And then she went, he doesn't know where he is. He's lost. At this point, the voice starts to sound echoey like it's nearby. Right. And I, we look through the gates and there he is in the car park. And the person who he'd put me on, I'm like moaning at this woman as if she's like the store manager or something. And it's a woman who lives in our building or who's visiting someone who lives in our building that he just decides to put on the phone because we can't communicate with each other sufficiently enough. So I'm like, Jesus Christ. 
So we hang up the phone, he comes around, he gives me the food. At this point, I don't even want to, like, I'm so mad, I don't want to say something horrible to this person who obviously got lost. But you have no effort or ability to be nice. I just couldn't even look at this person. So I just, we just got the food, we came up, everything was fine, I ate the food, it was good. But it was such a just disaster night of, like... The thing I said to you was, after the first thing happened, I was still kind of angry and annoyed and then when this second thing happened in such close succession it kind of snowballed and transcended into this funny anecdote instantly where i was like not even angry anymore i just thought it was bizarre and surreal and funny that this was happening to us all in one go i hadn't got to that point yet i was still really angry i was at the point where you just kind of shake a little bit and you're just like I'm so irrationally mad at you people for not fucking even trying to find where I live. (sighs) Anyway. But we should also say the interesting thing that you pointed out to me the other day is everywhere we've lived together has been hard for delivery people (laughs) to find. Like every single place. The first house we lived in before we moved to London, um, it was a weird house. It was a very weird house, actually, when I think about it. It was an old house. It was an old house. Basically, the only part of the house that was on, like, the road and, like, the site, it was, like, a little quiet street. The only part of the house that was kind of on that street was the kitchen windows and then, like, the spare bedroom windows. But the front door was, like, at the side. Down, like, a little path. And because this house was attached to two other houses, you had to go through this huge gate down like a path and there was like a drive and a big like car park and our front door was behind the gate when you open the gate it goes up against the wall where our door is and it would cover our door so often we would open our front door to leave the house and the gate would be open so we would have to move the gate because obviously there's people coming and going all the time they just want to leave the gate open it's like a catch-22 to get into our side street you have to open the gate but when you open the gate, you now can't get to our yeah, front exactly. door. Yeah, exactly. So if the gate was open, people couldn't find the front door because the gate just looks like it's up against the wall. And if the gate was closed, you still couldn't find the front door because the gate was closed. And yeah. usually if it was closed, it was locked. So, <clears throat> yeah, that was a bit... That was just a headache. And, it, and we couldn't go through the back door because it was a house. So we had a garden and like a back door because the back door was on the other side, which was still through the gate. And then... We moved to London and the first apartments we lived in, it was similar to this where our building was on a corner. So our address actually said we were on one side, but our actual apartment was on the other side. And the door to access that part of the apartment building was on that side road. Yeah, and the thing with that building was the main door, which was on the main road, had buzzers, but it only had buzzers for like the apartment on that, on that side, side of the building yeah and then on our side we had a door but there were no buzzers no <laughs> so it was it was actually legitimately confusing like the first house um so we again always had it would be phone calls we can't find you blah 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 that one was also bad because it was hard for people to park down that little side yeah. street because it's near enough pay. central London yeah, exactly. and all the spaces are taken and there's ticket wardens and blah, yeah. blah, blah. The second apartment building in London was pretty much fine. We still had a few people not able to find it, but I think it's because it was a street. 
But there yet was again, just businesses. it was on the corner of two oh, streets. Yeah, it was on the corner. That's so weird. Um, but, but yeah, that one wasn't too bad. But it was like, it was like a street of businesses and offices because it was central London with this just random residential apartments. That one, so some people couldn't find it because of that. I think did have a big sign saying the name of the apartment yeah, it building. Does, it? Yeah, yeah, like the first apartment building we live in London, there was no signs to say what the apartment was called. There's not a sign here, even though your address has a name of a building. The it doesn't building help. doesn't The building say doesn't that. have the, yeah. And then we move back here and we have another address that's so, yeah. like We've gotten very so used to the phone call of Hi, I'm on your street, where do I go? Yeah. And then you have to try and direct them and oftentimes they don't even know which direction they're facing what or annoys, where they are. What annoys me is and I always work on principle and because I don't like to go down. Like the point of having the delivery is that you don't have to leave the house. Yeah. And so when their their option is always come down to the street to meet me, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm having something delivered because I don't want to go out. And then that seems like... Well, Especially when you're having like, heavy things <laughs> delivered. They're yeah. supposed to be brought to your front door. And we only live on the first floor of our apartment building. Yeah. And the stairs are not... It's a very, very short staircase. It's like if you live in a house and you have an upstairs and downstairs, it's just like that stairs. Yeah. It's just one set of stairs. It's not like we live on apartment... The 10th floor. Yeah, like yeah. we live on floor 45 on like... Mm some tower block and they have to and the lift is out and we're like can you go yeah. up all the staircases no it's like the most simple thing in the world even though there's only one set of stairs you do sometimes get delivery people who do try to lie and say they're not allowed to enter the building like when we had groceries delivered we have groceries delivered from the same people every week and one week a guy tried to be like no we're not allowed to enter the building i'm like well i have a delivery from you every right. week and he's like yeah but it's a new rule Come and then down. we never heard about that rule ever and we never again. heard about that rule ever again again and i'm like you deliver to like elderly people and disabled people i know for a fact that you are allowed to right. enter the building but that so the thing you're saying is similar to the papa john's thing to bring it back to the whole pizza debacle because the guy was saying like it's tuna it's tuna and my thing was like in the last decade i've probably ordered no joke close to like a hundred tuna pizzas yeah. from you i know what tuna looks like i know what tuna looks like on a papa john's pizza mm. why are you arguing with me about this isn't the customer supposed mm. to always be right and from his perspective i was saying to him that you couldn't eat what we thought was ham which was ham and he's there trying to say no it's definitely tuna he's not thinking about the fact that if you eat it and die or have some kind of health issue that's his you can't risk him. it because it, this guy's checked the CCTV evidence yeah. and he's seen frame by frame that it was tuna flakes. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. like, couldn't if like ham fallen in the tuna somehow? Like these things happen, and he's like, no, he was not like, no. possible. As if he runs like military yeah. discipline in his kitchens. Everyone has like GoPros on them, yeah. body cams. Speaking of getting orders wrong, I feel like I must tell the story also. Do tell. We went to like a coffee shop the other day. Is this the one you teased earlier? Yeah. We, well, that I teased because yeah. it's like so excited. Um, Better live up to the hype now. We went to a coffee shop the other day and I ordered a, a similar to what Starbucks sells, like a Frappuccino. So where it's like a cold, like chocolatey drink with like milk, uh, milk, with like cream on top. And then sometimes they put like 
some kind of chocolate sauce or whatever on top of the cream. It's not actually a coffee, though, is it? It's just like a dessert The one I ordered isn't. You can have a coffee right, one. Right, yeah. okay. So I ordered like this chocolate thing with cream on top, but no chocolate sauce on top of the cream. Simple, right? Or so you think. So the guy gives me a drink with no cream, but with chocolate sauce. And so I say, that's not what I ordered. So he goes away. He he comes back and he tries to give me a drink with cream and chocolate sauce. So I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? But we should say that this situation was different in that they were friendly people. Yes, they were. They weren't like arguing about it. They just he wasn't listening. This was a problem. It's like he'd ask what I want and then he would rush away before I'd really finished speaking. It's like he was, he, it's like that classic case of like, I know what you're going to say, so I'll just go away and start doing it. And the girl, like the woman who was like serving, serving us. who at the very front, she, she was like, don't worry, he's doing you another one, don't worry. She told us that she was training and that he, like, he was training her. And so I was just a bit like, she knows what I want. The blind. She knows what I want. Let her do it. Like, so he came back after he like he did the first one. He did the second one. He went away. So I thought he was doing it again for a third time. But I guess he was making. He decided to just go and make someone else's drink at that point. He came back and he the went, queue was forming yeah, behind us. He came back and he was like, "Okay, tell me again what you want." It didn't help that the person we were with was very much like. I don't mind what I have on top of mine. You can't say that to someone who's making you a drink. You need to tell them one way or another. They need to know the order. And I think that's partly where he was getting confused. So we told him, he did it, I got the drink, it was fine. It was not really a story sometimes in this one. But but again, like I said, it's completely different when the people are being cooperative and helpful and friendly. I don't mind or get angry or ruffled in any way when... I'm either having something delivered or I'm ordering something at a restaurant or a coffee shop and they get it wrong. If they say, you're right, I got it wrong, I'll get you another one, we'll fix this. I have absolutely no negative feelings or antagonism towards them because I understand that people make mistakes. That's completely fine. I bet if I worked as a barista, I would make a hundred mistakes a day. But it's like with the pizza thing, when they argue with you and they make it this really douchey situation where they're challenging you and making it a confrontation that's when you have to have zero tolerance that was like the stark difference between the coffee shop thing and the pizza thing because he was just like oh i'm sorry he tipped the drink away and started making a new one by the time he had to make a third drink i felt a little bit bad for not just taking the drink yeah i don't i try not to get mad at people when they make an order wrong because like you said, I mean, imagine him working in like somewhere like McDonald's, where it's really fast paced. You are, and you maybe you read the screen wrong, or there's like a million orders up on the screen. You get overwhelmed, and you get it wrong. I couldn't do that job. I know I would get it wrong, and I wouldn't be fast enough. So you have sympathy for so, their position. So I do try to be like, this is wrong. Here's what I ordered, but it's when they try to argue with you. Because I know what I ordered. I know what I've paid for. Most of the time you have a receipt saying that's what you paid for. And when it's like fast food, it does a breakdown as well. So you can say exactly what you ordered. They know what you ordered. But something went wrong along the way. They should just give you yeah. what you ordered. Like, 
once you say it's wrong, there should not be a situation where you're arguing back and forth. Where you have to... It's almost like we were in a court case arguing our position. I know, because he's like... He goes, next time. He kept saying it, next time, keep the pieces of ham. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like there isn't the going to be a next time. And the other thing is, like we said, don't sell pizzas in pizza boxes that say there's a no quibble um. return policy. If you don't want to adhere to that Papa John's policy, mm. don't be a Papa John's franchisee. Because at the end of the day, per the rules, you should have just been able to call up and say, I'm not happy yeah. with this pizza. I would like a refund. And you would have got one. Because this was, like I said, I've ordered many a Papa John's pizza before. <laughs> and this is literally the first time that I personally have ever returned a pizza. So it's not like I do this yeah. all the time. Like this was a once in a blue moon thing. And yet this guy still made it into this big debacle slash argument for no good reason yeah. we should probably stop talking about this at this point because <laughs> it's like therapy we're gonna sound like we're obsessives yeah it is a little bit like therapy though like i know we obviously talked about it ourselves when it happened but at the same time it's like i don't know talking about it it is like venting i guess yeah and this is our personal vlog yeah wait what's yeah. the equivalent of a vlog in audio a, a podcast. An orlog. <laughs> an orlog. Yeah. An audio log. Yeah. An A log. An A log. I don't know. Podcast works. That makes me laugh. That made me think of my mum the other day. She was like <laughs> I was talking about the I was talking about the podcast and she was like, Do people talk back to you? And I'm like, It's not a phone call, Mom. <laughs> And then you were also asked whether we stream it live. Yeah, but that's a possibility. Do people do? I don't know. If they I do. guess yeah, yeah like on Google do. Hangouts. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that though. I'd feel too much pressure. Like you're performing in front of a live audience. Yeah. It's not necessarily like how some people might think. Oh, you can't take stuff out if you do it live. It's more like I don't want to mess up something. Like I wouldn't want to constantly. Be like, no, that's not what I say. Want to say? I want to say this, or like, I don't. Really, I'm not really making any sense. It's and it's a good thing this isn't live because I'm totally gonna edit all of that all out. <laughs> yeah. That's what you think. That's what you think. If you slip me a twenty, I'll do it. If you don't, I'm gonna replace the whole podcast with that slip up. There's no twenties for you. There's some twenties. There's no twenties. I want you to put at least four in my G string if you want to go to the the back room for a private dance. And I'm putting dance in quotation marks. You're an expensive stripper. I'm an expensive whatever I am. (laughs) I'm expensive to just have sitting around the house on the couch in my underwear. You have to slip me a steady supply of of money for me to be doing that. I don't understand. But I'm worth the cost, all right? Sure. I guess so. Okay. I'll go to another client. I can advertise my services online. No, I own you. On those type of websites. <laughs> you say you own me. That's pretty indentured well. servitude. Well. I'm pretty sure there was an emancipation proclamation that ended that. Although I guess not here. I own you and that's all I know. Just okay. like I own Rudy. But it's owned to lease. Or is it leased to it's own? It's leased to own. Is that is what? 
No, I already leased you. Own to lease would you. be very confusing. I leased you for a while, Devolved and then I decided that I wanted to own you, so I bought you. For a song. And a... Dance. Dance. You were so confused about what could possibly know. be the second word in that couplet. I own you just like I own Rudy, so I can do whatever I want with him. That's horrendous. Oh, he's not very well right now. He's not, no. Well, I don't actually know if that's true, if he is unwell, or if... Some weird, freaky thing was just happening. He was, like, vomiting a little bit on and off. And I tried to keep, like, a... A log. A log, yeah. Because people are always saying, people who have cats are always saying, but cats are sicky animals. And I'm like, all right. But then it comes to a point where I'm like, is that really true? And so I tried to do some research. Obviously, people are always saying, don't go on the internet to diagnose. But the internet is also good for, like, actual real information. And that whole thing where that cats are sicky animals is a myth from what I've read. And Rudy doesn't even cough up hairballs. No, I've never known him to, like, be sitting there trying to hack up a hairball. He's obviously vomited in in the past, but very rarely, Touchwood. I'm sure that won't be picked up on the mics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as you tap the table that's holding the yeah. mic arms. <laughs> um, like whenever he's vomited in the past, he's nine now. So obviously, there's been times he's vomited. Whenever he's vomited, like in the past, it's been like a one-off thing, and it's happened. And I've been like, oh, I wonder if he's not very well. I keep an eye on him for the next day, and he's been fine. Never needed to like. Like he wouldn't, he hasn't vomited again or shown any of his symptoms. So he has been got, a one off yeah, type isolated It's like a one off thing. Like, how, like maybe he ate something that he shouldn't have eaten, or maybe, do you know what I mean? Like maybe he ate his food too fast. There have also been specific instances where we were, because we saw what was going on, we were able to connect the A to the B, the cause yeah, to the yeah. effect. Do you remember the one time? The tap was dripping. Yeah, well, we'll get on to that because that's part of like what I think is going on. Okay. So we I jump the gun. You're jumping the gun. Spoilers. So basically, I know I started to notice a few things. He, I started like documenting his vomiting, if you will. So I would take pictures and I would note down what the date was, what it looked like. This is not weird at all, by the way. It was happening about every two weeks. So once it happened like four times, I said to myself, and and I had discovered that this sicky thing wasn't... Um, it wasn't innocuous. That it was a myth. I was like, something's going on here, we should take him to the vets. So we were going to take him to the vets and we booked an appointment and everything, but we couldn't get him in his cat box. And I know this is gonna, some people are going to be like, well, you just force him in, but let me explain. <laughs> Rudy is a loving animal, however... If you're trying to do something to him that he doesn't like, he will scratch and bite you. He becomes a savage. And he is a large cat. He's not like, you know, I don't know how much he weighs, but he is big and he's heavy. And as soon as he starts to, like, kick you and scratch you and, like, hang on to your arms and try to savage you to death, it's painful and there's blood. Like, so... He's a little saber tooth. Not only do I as a person trying to get him into his carrier, get savaged, he is also then traumatised because he doesn't know what's going on. So in my mind, it's like, it's got to be worth it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be, oh, he he urgently needs to go. Because otherwise, it's just, 
an ordeal. But not only that, the last time I thought something was going on and nothing was actually going on and I took him to the vets, this was a few years ago. This is when we didn't live near a vets either and we were living in London so we had to go like take him on the tube with us and everything. He was was travelling and then waiting to get into the appointment for two, more than two hours. By the time we got to the appointment, he was so... On edge. On edge and like hostile. Unsure. He wouldn't come out of his carry box. And the vet said to me, I'm not going to force him out. Because I said, I will will just basically tip the box. Not like tip it on its head, but I will tip it a bit to try and get him out. You'll throw some flashbangs and gas (laughs) grenades in there. And the vet was like, no, don't. You're just making worse. We won't treat him today because I'm not going to force him out. But next time, tell us what, explain the situation, bring him in earlier than usual and we'll sedate him so we can treat him. I was like, oh, okay. And then we had to go all the way home having done nothing. Having done nothing. So, and he was like traumatized. So, cut to a few years later, he's been fine. He starts vomiting. I know I need to get him in his carry box. I tried to get him in his carry box. He cuts me up and I'm bleeding in several places and he won't get in his carry box. So I say, okay, let's take a beat, monitor him. While we monitor him, we find some new solution of how to get him to the vets. So I do some research on what like types of carry boxes and stuff are out there. Eventually, I get a. It's basically not unlike a wash basket that you'd put your like with a, a lid, like your dirty laundry in with a lid. So you can just pick him up and put him in it, rather than trying to shove him in this little hole. I feel like you should little... explain the different sh- shapes and entry yeah, because the of original the the, car- the most common carry boxes are like these oblongy type. That's not what that word means. It's like a rectangular box, and at the end of it, there's a door that yeah, opens. Yeah. But the door is the way that the door is usually small, a smaller opening than the actual size of the box. Yeah. So you're essentially trying to shove him with all his limbs flailing about into this smallish hole. And then when he's in there, he can retreat to the back of it, so it's harder to pull him out. So I wanted something bigger and more open, so it's easier to put him in, but also easier to get him out. Um, so yeah, by the time we'd like found a new type of like carry box to get to that we wanted to try to get him into it, and it arrived because he in this new one it opens from the top, and you can just put him down into it like an open box. Yeah. So we thought that would work much better. And I had been monitoring, like time had obviously been passing while we were waiting. Like, for instance, this box didn't come for like five days. He, he The vomiting had stepped up. He, it, in the course of a week, he vomited five times. Um, Whereas he had been vomiting like every other week. Every two every weeks. Every two weeks, every two weeks stuff so. like that. Let me also say, once I realised his vomiting was a pattern, I tried to do things to, like, help. Like, I thought maybe he was eating too fast or eating too much because of the the way he was vomiting. I thought, oh, it looks like he's just gobbled it all up really quickly and that's why he's vomited. So I tried to, like, measure out his food, give him less food but more frequently. And the other thing is sometimes... When he would go and sit in the sink in the bathroom, which first of all is adorable, because yeah. sometimes you would Cats go past the door do in the hallway, 
and you could just see the tops of his ears and his little <laughs> eyes poking up over the rim of the sink. It is very cute. So when he would go in there, we would sometimes turn the cold tap on very slightly so it was just a little trickle because he liked to lap the water up. Yeah. And obviously because you want your cat to stay hydrated and they don't always drink that much water from their bowl we thought it was fine to give him water that yeah. way but one time he drank for a much longer period than he usually did and then like half an hour later he had vomited and it was almost all water yeah. so he had just engorged himself too much by drinking and we knew that was the reason why he had vomited yeah but that also even though that time we knew that's why he had vomited in my mind i was like he's thirstier because up until recently the sitting in the sink thing trying to get water has not been something he's ever done and i was like is it because we're in a new place and this, he, he's able to do like Maybe that getting in the sink and doing that wasn't really something he wanted to do because of the setup in the old apartments. Like, I didn't know. So I thought, even though... Because when you call the vet and they're like, what are his symptoms? His only symptom was that he was vomiting. He would go to try... Like, he would go to his food bowl straight after as if to say, give me some food, I'm hungry. He he was acting completely normal um, until I thought, this water thing, well, maybe he's also thirstier. So we got the new carry box. I tried to make an appointment at the vet and they were giving me this this tip about, like, being completely booked up until, like, the middle of September and saying that you have to call first thing in the morning where they keep several appointments for emergencies and you have to basically get in a queue and it's first come, first serve. So I had to do that for a few days before I could get an appointment. We finally got one, and the new carry box is here, and I'm like, how's this going to work? I put his carry... They're always saying, you know, you should put the carry box out a few days before you've got to go to the appointment, just so they can familiarise them with it and, like, get comfortable with it. And he was in it. He was yeah. sleeping in it. I put it on its side, so it was, like, a little cave It was for his him. little cat cave. And he enjoyed it. He slept in it, like, all day and all night. Which was a good sign. Which was a good sign. And then it was really easy to, like, get him into it. I just picked it because he does let me pick him up. He just... For a short time. He doesn't let me pick him up and do stuff with him. Yeah. Like, it's not like a dog where you can pick him up, put him on your lap and be like, stay. He's not going to do that. But he does let me pick him up. So I did that and we went to the vet. And all you had to do was pick him up and lower him down into the open cat box. So, yeah, this design of Catbox was a lot better. It was way, like, there was no messing around. Yeah. But he was freaking the fuck out. He was like, very concerned. He was being very violent, like, in the box. He, I I really thought he was going to break through it somehow, even though it's made out of... He's not the Hulk. No, I know, but, like, he was really... Fr- I was really going to hurt himself. So I was trying to calm him down. We go to the vets. We have an appointment. And as always... And I know this is just an inevitable function of the fact that you have a bunch of different animals in mm. the same room. But the vet's waiting room was just horrible. Yeah, it was. You had insanely loud barking dogs sometimes. There's always more dogs than anything. You had animals that looked like they were on their last legs. Yeah. And so they just make you so sad to see. You had scared cats. You yeah. had like all different types of things, all making noise, all afraid or all violent. It's funny because... 
when I think of like the vets, I I always think there's always someone who comes out of a room crying because their animal is like too sick or they they have to be put to sleep. And when that happened with us with Poppy a few weeks ago, we were that people. Yeah. I was that girl coming out of the room crying, and it happened again when we went to the vets. A, a woman came out of a room, and I was just I just felt so. There was also a woman sitting there with this huge dog draped over her lap because it was so like yeah couldn't stand it 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 had no energy to stand and she was on the phone tearily explaining the situation i just saw that and i was like this is some heartbreaking ordeal that i'm vicariously observing from afar yeah so anyway so we have our appointment and jesus (laughs) christ (laughs) The woman was a very strange woman. Yeah. I'm going to say this. Like, she didn't seem like she was new at her job, yet the things that she did, like the way she treated the situation or reacted to the situation, it was very strange. Okay, so we get Rudy in there. We take the lid off the box. I tip the box to its side so he can step out of it. But you didn't, like... No, we didn't so tip him over. You no, no, just no, tipped no. it so he could walk out. Yeah, so he didn't have to like leap out of it. He seems alright, but wary. Straight away she just like feels him, like around his tummy and stuff, and then scoot sort of like scoots, half scoots, half lifts him to the scales, scales. which are on the table. So and he complies. That like, was all fine. Cause she said to me, when as I was tipping the box. I feel like it really does sound like I'm tipping him out of the box. I tipped it slightly to its side gently. She was like, can't you pick him up? Can't you pick him up out of it? And I said, I can, but I wouldn't do it in this situation because he's very weary and he does get aggressive. So she knew straight away that he gets aggressive. But he actually wasn't being aggressive or violent at no, that he moment wasn't. he was just kind of stalking around the little table yeah. hissing and growling and doing that thing where they get really low on their stomachs and he hadn't hissed or growled themselves. at this point oh maybe he'd hissed yeah you're right i think maybe yeah. he'd hissed early on but mostly he was in defensive wary i don't know what's going yeah. on right now i need to be careful and mm. observant mode so he put. So as she's still trying to talk to me about why didn't you pick him up out of the thing, and I'm telling her, what, he's on the scale at this point, and she weighs him. Then she walks away to like type in on the computer what he weighs and all this. She she comes back and I don't know whether she is like finished checking him or not. So he's still just sitting on the table. He's moving around a little bit, but at this point he's now definitely hissing and growling. And I've got my hands like I'm not like holding him like I, he's not lifted off the table, but I've got my hands on him and around him so that he can't like Dash leap away. or whatever. Yeah. And I'm about to say like shall I put him back in his box or whatever but she starts talking about something and a I can barely hear what she's saying because the vet room even though it looks like a private room the back of it actually goes around a corner and joins onto another vet room so you can hear what's happening in the it's other room it's quite loud in there and I think it was like a person and a dog and they were like making a lot of noise and she had a very soft voice and so I was really struggling to hear what she was saying but as she starts talking, she starts gesturing, like just 
gesticulating. That's a strange her, word, but yeah. With her arms. Like, like moving them around as she's making points. But right above Rudy's yeah. head. And I am just about to pull him back. But I know I'm too late. And I just say, move your arms. Like, like really quickly. Yeah. And she doesn't. And he reaches scratches up. her arm twice. He does like a one-two jab type of thing. <laughs> and jab. scratches her hand or her arm. And she is like extremely shocked and upset by this. Rightfully so. Yeah. And I feel so fucking terrible. And I'm apologizing and blah, blah, blah. At this point, I get him in his box and I close the lid. She really did seem stunned that it had happened. Yeah. Which really confused us because anyone who has ever had cats or been around cats knows that when they're in that wary defensive they might they feel like they might have to attack to defend themselves mode the last thing that you do is stand over them and wave your hands around them yeah but i'm not blaming her no of course it was just strange that she didn't know and that she acted so surprised that he jumped up and swiped at her so anyway so i try i'm apologizing like profusely and like asking her if she's okay but she like is unable to continue with the appointment and she's like i'm going to wash my hands so she goes away, Rudy's in his box, we wait for a while, what seems like ages. She comes back and she's talking about how she can't treat him. She can't give him like a blood test or anything because he's too aggressive. And I said, and this did happen, I called, I have been on the phone with this vet like five times at this point. A, trying to get an appointment and B, trying to figure out what was going to happen. Because that whole story earlier about how is it worth taking him to the vets if A, there's nothing wrong with him, and B, they're not going to do anything. Like, I was saying to her, is all they're going to do is feel him? Because if all that they're going to do is feel him, I can feel him. And this is what you were saying to and the I can twi- receptionist on the phone. Yeah, and I was like, because the last time I tried to take him to the vets, they told me they might need to sedate him. So do I need to bring him early in case you need to sedate him? And at first she was like, I can't tell you, I'm just a receptionist, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, someone needs to give me some information. So can you not go away and speak to a vet? So eventually she went away and said that she was going to speak to a vet. When she came back, she was like, we don't sedate, it's too risky. That's what she said to me, those exact words. So I had no choice but to just take him in because he was vomiting so much. I was really worried. So after the cat scratch incident and she's telling me how he's so aggressive that he that he needs to be sedated so we can give him a blood test but we can't sedate him today, I was furious because I had said I knew this was going to happen all along. I thought you weren't even going to be able to get him out of the box. I was like, I called, I asked about sedation, they told me you didn't do it, blah, blah, blah. So I was really mad at this point. But you didn't show it. No, I, I wasn't arguing We both felt her. terrible that Rudy I had just, yeah, scratched her. I just explained to her that it was maddening because I had had this conversation. And her answer was, they don't communicate with us very well about the receptionists. And I'm like, well, she told me she gave me spoke to a vet. So it just it gets really infuriating when people don't communicate properly. And it's their whole job, you know? So at this point, we have like a plan of like 
bring him I'm gonna give him some stuff that might help with certain things if that's what's wrong with him like anti-inflammation stuff for like the lining of his stomach um stuff for like his coat his fur in case it is like a furball situation bring him back in a week and we'll see if his weight's the same if his weight's the same the chances are nothing's going on because the likelihood of what's going on if something is going on is that it's like a kidney or liver situation and if he hasn't lost weight then that's not indicative of that so I was like okay so then we had to try and figure out ways to give him medication and everyone's like just open his mouth and put the tablet in and I'm like which is horrendous no because that's some Guantanamo Bay force feeding type shit I know he's an animal but like He's going to have my hand off if I try to do that. I'm not even going to get close enough to him to be able to do that. Because I'll be stroking him. And as soon as he knows I'm doing anything but stroking him, he's going to go for me or leave. Like You're going to have to get one of those Jamie Lannister golden hand <laughs> replacements. So we have to try and figure ways to like put the food in his like food but he doesn't eat wet food so like it was getting more and, and more... we tried several things yeah several different plans <laughs> to try and get him to eat don't tell him about the cheese yeah well we don't give him cheese but we know that he likes the smell of cheese because he always goes crazy whenever we're cutting it or using it in meals so my idea was we'll buy some cheese we'll cut off a tiny little piece of it and then we'll push one of the tiny little pills that they gave us into it. And hopefully he'll just eat the whole thing and not even notice there was a tablet in it. But he just sniffed the cheese and walked away as if, is this the best you can do humans to trick me? He licked it and he licked it and he licked it and then he, he, but he wouldn't eat it. Um, He knew. Yeah. And then I tried to get cut like one of his treats open and wedge, like get half the treat and wedge the half the tablet into the other so it would like make up like a, a square but again he was like licking at it and then he wouldn't eat it because he knew he's not stupid he knew so the only thing left and i asked the vet if i could do this because obviously not all pills will work if you grind them up but um she said you could do it as like a last resort and so i give him cat milk every now and then because they they can't digest cow's milk. I call it cat milk. It's actually goat's milk is what is... But it's four cats. But it's four cats, yeah. You made it more confusing yeah, by explaining... Yeah, I have made it confusing, yeah. People milk is cow's milk. Wait, people usually. milk is breast milk? No, I mean... Okay, we're Do you see how you're making this confusing? The milk that most people buy for their cereal and their tea and coffee and stuff is cow's milk. The stuff that comes in cartons that says milk four for cats. cats is goat's milk. Okay. We, so, we're on the same page. Everyone's here with you. He can't have cow's milk because they can't digest it properly. So they have this like half goat's milk, half whatever. Um, and he has that every now and then and he really enjoys it. So I was like, okay, let's just get a shitload of it and give him, we had to give him some several, like a few times a day, just a really small amount and grind up his tablet. <clears throat> and it was working for the first few days. But then he got to the point of like he'd have milk once and then he wouldn't want it again. And so he was getting harder and harder. And the actual instructions on the medication they gave us said give it to him at two different points in the day. Yeah, so I obviously considered just giving him the whole tablet in the milk, but I didn't think... That wasn't workable. So, yeah, where we're at right now is 
we're supposed to we're supposed to go back for his appointment to see if he's lost any weight, but he touch wood again. Again, knocking the mic table. He hasn't vomited, and it's been like a week and nearly been two weeks. And I don't know if that's a coincidence. I doubt it, since he was vomited yeah, five times. It in was a week. escalating, and now it has completely ceased. So I'm hoping that what it, whether it's the oil for his fur or the tablets have worked or they're working. So my plan now is to call the vets, explain and see if I need to get any more tablets. Yeah, when he finishes out this course of medication, if we need to give him another one and just leave it at that, that would be ideal. Because like you said, it is a big deal and it is kind of traumatic for us to haul him out to the vets. And if all they're going to do is say, he's making good progress, here's yeah. another box of pills, we can just go there ourselves and get that. Yeah, because they were saying about, like, if we sedate him so that we can do things like blood tests, sedating him, and, and there is something wrong with, like, his liver or his kidneys, sedating him will make them function less yeah. than they are, like, if that's what's it's happening. Risky. But since A, he hasn't vomited, he's not got any other symptoms and he hasn't, he obviously isn't losing weight, then I think we should hopefully, hopefully I think that means these tablets are working. Yeah, I think so. I think we have reason to be optimistic right now. Things seem like they are working out well. We'll keep an eye on him, but I'm sure he's going to be fine. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Rudy update. Like we told that story, in, like it could have been told in such a quicker way. I know, but, but to us, it's such a big deal because it was like all we thought about as soon as yeah. we realised that he might be sick, and we had to take him to the vets, and then we had to figure out how to trick him into eating these pills and blah blah uh, blah. So it was a big deal for us. Whereas as a listener, you might be like, "A, I don't know who the fuck this cat Rudy is," and B, <laughs> I didn't need a half hour monologue about it. Well. That's what you get sometimes. You did, right? <laughs> so yeah, we'll give him lots of love and attention, yeah. as always. He's just a little kitty cat. I mean, his behavior hasn't really changed, which no, you'd think it would if he had something going on with him, some kind of sickness. But you can't rely on that. That's you know? true. And that's why I w- was adamant about just taking him to the vet anyway, even after all my like. Give me more information about what you're going to do. Are you going to do something that's worth me bringing him in? Even after all that, I knew I was going to take him because it wasn't worth it. Any amount of trauma to get him there is worth getting him there if, like, he's sick. Yeah. So even though I said all of that, that was just me, I guess, preparing to, like... I wanted to make it as easy as possible, which is why we got the new carrier box. It was a lot better than our previous experiences trying to ferry him to the vets. But talking of difficulty giving him medication, do you remember when we had to give him his eye drops? Yeah. That was unbelievably difficult. In a way, though, in terms of like... This was a long time ago as well, we should say. I was just going to say, in a way, it's better than having to give him tablets because... You would you can just give him. You, you can, can make sure it. that he gets them. Yeah, like there's obviously a worry at like having to grind them up, and like some days he wouldn't take the second half a tablet. Like 
there's that worry. Whereas, like, with the eye drops, even though it takes a lot to do it, once you've done it, you know he's got it in his system. And the way that we did it was we'd both prepare, we'd mentally steal <laughs> ourselves for this endeavour. And then usually I would have a blanket or a towel or something like that and we'd creep up to him while he was like sitting on the sofa or the bed or something and i would pounce and wrap him in the blanket so his, just head, his head sticking out like he was a swaddled baby yeah and so just his head was sticking out and then you would come up and give him the eye yeah. drops luckily with cats because they don't really have like eyelids the way people have eyelids the eyes are like Easier to open. Easy to, like, just... You, you really don't have to apply any pressure, really. Yeah. You just put your fingers either side of the eye. The eye stays open, and then you just squeeze. And, like, but yeah, that was even though it's horrible... Not it, fun. Yeah. It was safe. A lot safer than other things we've had to do with him, because yeah. once he's trapped in the blanket, he's kind of immobile. But we knew that it clearly was not a fun experience for him yeah. it was not i just hate doing anything i know like obviously ultimately giving him making sure he has whatever medication he needs is the most important but having to like see him be upset or uncomfortable is like torture yeah, for me it sucks. like and that's why i find it difficult to like do those things so yeah, yeah. shall we move on at last yeah let's start the topic shall we go on to the first one yeah so, hit me with your best shot. Bethesda. Do, do, do. Bethesda, is that what I said my name was? Yeah. Yeah, it was. What Bethesda. does Bethesda make you think of? Bethesda. It makes me think of two things. A, I think I have like a vague sense that it's a place name. Yes. Bethesda, Mar- 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 how do you say that? Maryland? Maryland. The state Maryland. in America? Maryland. Because it's spelled like Maryland, but I think it's said like Maryland. Maryland. We're so British. Maryland. So yeah, I think it's a place name. Like Maryland Cookies. Yeah, maybe. But it's also the name of a pretty big video game developer. Oh, it is? That makes the Elder Scrolls series. So that's what it makes me think of. So it's interesting that you picked it. Makes me think of vampires. How so? Because I'm watching the Vampire Diaries. Rewatching, we should Rewatching. say. Rewatching. And I don't know why it's made me think of vampires. It I think does... maybe just because it's right on the surface. Yeah. Like, oh, it sounds I feel like, like we a need to talk about the Vampire name. Diaries for a minute. We need, to, oh, we need to talk about this. I feel quite sure that we don't, but I'll allow it. I've decided that out of all the vampires that I've watched, which is the Buffy. What a weird statement, but okay. The, I was a huge... <laughs> Which we've talked about before when we talked about conventions. A huge Buffy and Angel fan. A fangirl, if you will. Yes. Then, as time went by, I was a fan of Twilight. A huge fan. Huge, huge, huge fan of both of these. I've been to fan conventions for each. Then, when the Vampire Diaries started, I've not read the books. Though the books are not the same as the TV show anyway. That's confusing. Yeah, I know. And then when the Vampire Diaries came along, I was also a huge fan of that and, again, went to conventions. When True Blood started, I watched the first episode and it was so ridiculous that I didn't watch anymore, though I know it did go on to be quite big. And 
In terms of like vampire movies, Interview with a Vampire was really good, but I haven't watched any of those other ones that came after it. Can I interest you in the Dracula film with Keanu Reeves, where he does arguably the worst accent oh, of all yeah. time? That's really early on in his career, isn't it? He Apparently, got such a hard time for that. He didn't even like train for the accent. He just like winged it. That's what Is I've it a heard. British accent, I, I think he does a British accent, yeah. Is that the Winona Ryder movie? Um, it's been yeah, a long and, time and Gary since Oldman. I've seen it. Yeah, Gary Oldman's really good as well, Gary Oldman is Gary Oldman. That's true, so, you yeah. know, He was already Gary Oldman at that point, if that makes any sense. Okay, so I came to the conclusion upon my rewatch of The Vampire Diaries. Okay. It's not my first rewatch. And that's important to say. Yeah, but I just want to say, I came to the conclusion that The Vampire Diaries vampires are the best vampires let me tell you why. <laughs> Please do. In Buffy and Angel, vampires, the only powers that they have is that they are strong and fast. Okay. Okay? They can't walk in the sun. There's no way around that. They cannot walk in the sun. They will die. Instantly? Instantly. They will set a flame and they will die. Turn into dust. Yes. Those are the only powers they have. Okay. Not only are they the only powers that they have, but when they turn into vampires, if you will, their faces change. They start to One look might like say that they are ugly. Right, yeah. <laughs> their faces change, so they don't really look like themselves anymore. They look monstrous. Yes. So, okay. there's that. The Twilight vampires, while I love Twilight, the vampire part of them is... Wussy. It's wussy and terrible. The only good thing about the vampire mythology in terms of Twilight is that some of them have abilities. But again, it's only some of them have abilities, not all of them. And as became notorious, they sparkle in the sunlight. Yeah, so they can go out in the sun. Sun doesn't kill them, which is kind of silly. They just become 10% more fabulous. <laughs> and... The other thing as well that I like that they don't have is okay. that there's nothing vampy about them in terms of, like, they don't have fangs. They, like, nothing changes. So while I did say that the vampires on Buffy and Angel changing okay. was a bad thing, not changing at all is also a bad thing. Okay, this is where we get onto the Vampire Diaries vampires. In the Vampire Diaries, they have fangs. And when they kind of get vampy, if you know what I mean, their eyes change. And they do this, like, cool thing where, like, the veins around their eyes, like, the blood kind of comes up to the surface. And I'm doing this really weird thing with my hands right now to try and illustrate it. And I know you can't see. You're but... doing kind of a ASMR-esque tappy-tap on your face. Yeah. So, like, they have fangs and they have a little bit of vampness going on around the eyes. And it's kind of hot. In, in like a vampire is a, a hot kind of way. strange thing to say, but sure. Okay. It sounds like they have leprosy, so which here is, we of go. course, very sexy. So in the way they change, they're better. They can't go out in the sun because they'll burn. However, in this world, there are witches, and the witches are powerful enough to make them things that they can use so they can go out in the daylight. So jewellery usually is. They'll wear like a ring and the ring protects them from the sun. That's cool. It's not ridiculous. It's cool. It's like a useful loophole. Yeah. And because obviously witches aren't usually on the side of vampires, not all of vampires course, do it. everyone knows that. Not all vampires do have it. So like some vampires will burn in the sun. Um, 
So not only do they have all the usual suspects of like strength, speed, they vamp out and it looks hot. They can go out in the sun sometimes. They also have, all of them have an ability to compel people. So it's like a form of mind control. They look into someone's eyes and... Is that only normal people or other vampires too? Well... Oh no, I fear that I've set up some kind of tripwire. Vampires can't compel other vampires. However, when the original family is like revealed, because they're the original vampires and they're like a thousand years old, they can compel other vampires, but regular vampires can't. My eyes are glossing over. So, this is why you shouldn't (laughs) ask questions. So not only all that, but there are other things that can hurt them. Like there's a plant called vervain and that can hurt them. And also if, if you as a person, a regular person, drinks vervain, you can't be compelled. Their power won't work. So there are all these little like different intricacies. Okay. So I just And also another thing that Good annoys God. me with Twilight is that she tried to like mess it with the, the, the mythology too much. She said that vampires are stronger in their first year because they still have their own blood pumping in their veins. And her, I guess the way she got to that is that them drinking blood gives them power. So having blood means you're powerful. Whereas like in every other vampire story ever, vampires are more powerful the older they get. And that's what it's like in Vampire Diaries. The older you are, the more powerful you are. That's what I said to you in whatever it is, the last film where they have like this big standoff and it's like all the most powerful vampires against each other. I just said to you, why doesn't one of them just go and find 10 random people, turn them, and then because they're like super, super overpowered when they're like Mm. freshly turned, you'd have like this unbeatable killing squad. Well, she did try to balance it out a little bit by, by, they weren't, the newborns are more powerful because for the first year because they still have their blood pumping into their veins. But the downside is that they're so new that they can't control themselves. They can't control the bloodlust. Right. So they can't really be trained for anything. That Their ultimate goal is just to drink blood. So, But that's not... Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this sincerely. <laughs> but that's not what happened with Bella. No, because Bella's special. Oh, you know? good God. Yeah. I really didn't like... Like... The thing that I objected to most in Twilight is, A, the vampires are way overpowered for what they should be able to do. B, I don't understand this weird thing about they kill each other by pulling off each other's heads. Yeah, I don't... How are they strong enough to pull off someone else's head? Yeah. But not bodily strong enough to resist their head being pulled off? That confuses me. Just... In terms well, of Well, because I guess if you think if you're overpowered by, like, a newborn, or you're being overpowered by six vampires, that's why. And thirdly, yeah. as you may recall on many occasions, I didn't like the fact that the werewolves in this fiction, in this mythology, are insanely weak and useless, because... They can they kill can't... vampires, so how are they insanely weak? But not weak? one-on-one. They're not, like, the equals. They can. I don't think so. They can. Jake, Jake, I'm trying to think of a time when one-on-one happens. Jacob kills um, one... Like, when Jacob runs away with Renesmee at the end, one vampire is sent after him, and he kills him. 
But that was probably some weak ass bitch. He's just got to rip the head off. That he was basically some just rip the head off. Wolves lame are, underling. Wolves are not the size of wolves. Wolves are like the size of elephants. They're like huge. Yeah, but my point is, whenever you see fight scenes between wolves and vampires the vampires are just batting away like half a dozen wolves as if it's nothing and then they just kind of whelp and run away yeah that does happen but the wolves are not as weak as you think there are also wolves in um vampire diaries and they're also hybrids they're wolf vampires my brain is starting to fill up with useless yeah so i'll get i'll get off this do you also remember when i said to you there's werewolves and vampires in this mythos are there also other things like mummies? And you got really confused and offended. Because I didn't you... get confused. But I don't see what's cool about a mummy. What is not cool about them? What can they do? Scare you. With their creepy sure. rotten bandages. Sure. I mean... They can slowly trudge towards you with their arms outstretched. I think I remember reading that in the Vampire's books there are other mythical creatures, but I can't remember what. Um... Yeah, I also like in the Vampire Diaries how people are dying all the time. Like, similar to Buffy, there were deaths in that a lot as well. But this is actually, like, Anyone savage. can die. It's a bit savage. Point. Like, and they do kill main people. Game of Thrones-esque, would you say? Yeah. So, I do think overall, while I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to say... I think Twilight's... I'm... I'm I was obsessed with Twilight more than any of the others. I am still obsessed with it now. However, I do still really enjoy those other ones almost just as much. Right. I just don't obsess over it as much like I like I did with that. But yeah, I'm rewatching it right now and I'm enjoying it. Like the first couple of seasons are fucking excellent. Like excellent. One little, and I know this is a small nuance of kind of classic vampire fiction and detailing, Mm. but it's something that you don't really see in any kind of modern vampire adaptation of of the whole mythology, is that whole idea of vampires can't come into your home uninvited. Something about that always kind of got me kind of resonated with me i thought it was an interesting little limitation to them and yet i can't think of any modern vampire show or movie or book or whatever that retains that little quirk they do twilight doesn't but vampire diaries did and buffy did keep in mind that i haven't seen vampire diaries or buffy yeah buffy buffy in buffy and angel that's a rule vampires have to be invited in and I remember even once Willow, who was a witch, did a spell to revoke the access. Like, when Angel goes bad, they do a spell so that he's not invited in anymore, if that makes sense. Um, in Twilight, you don't have to be invited in. You you can just go wherever you want. Which is another way she messed with it. It was like, what are the rules? Like, And then in Vampire Diaries, you do have to be invited in. The other thing you told me about Vampire Diaries that I really like the sound of is the whole idea that because they're 
basically immortal unless you actively kill them. Mm. They would punish vampires by just locking them in a box or a coffin and just leaving them for hundreds of years. Yeah, because you're not going to die. You're just going to desiccate. And so... And go insane. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, you almost will just become like a mummy, like you said. But that's why I said to you, why can't vampires just go into space then? Do they need oxygen to breathe? Do they need blood or they will die? If they don't get blood, they will just desiccate. But, but they'll not, stay alive. They're essentially not dead, but they can't move. Okay, so why doesn't one of the Vampire Diaries of Vampires put on like a big tank of blood on his back and then get launched into space and he could just float through space and explore other galaxies? Because a big tank is not very big. They have to drink blood every day. Okay, what about a gigantic spaceship that accompanies him with blood in every crevice? In every room, in every tank. Because what's good about go- like vampires what's good about got- going to space? No, but vampires got better things to do. Their main priority is just drinking blood, and essentially, like in in Vampire Diaries, when you become a vampire, you are until you learn to control yourself, you're basically evil because all you want to do is kill people to get their blood. But if you have the desire to like not do that basically to want to be something better you will like find other ways to drink blood you're like blood bags or like drinking from humans and then like but not killing right or animals like one of the characters starts out and he's like an animal like he drinks from animals um there's also something what they often refer to as like the humanity switch you can turn it off turn your feelings off if you want and become a because when you become a vampire everything's heightened and you can choose to just switch that off and detach yourself and so obviously some of the storylines are like he switched his humanity off we can't reach him kind of thing um whereas you don't have any of those things i mean i guess in angel similarly when he loses his soul he's evil when he's got his soul he's just like a regular dude who's a vampire um but they don't have anything like that in Twilight. That's why Twilight vampires are actually the worst vampires, if you think about it. But it's my favourite. I'm not so. going to argue that point. But yeah, maybe we maybe we talked about... This is a pet topic, okay? I could talk about this for 27 years. Evidently. And you have, nearly. Yeah. That's how it goes, though. That's how it goes. When you're a super fan. I am a bit of a super fan. What... What do you think happened to make vampires quote-unquote sexy? Like, I know why that is part of the cultural zeitgeist now, because all yeah. of these different films and shows have done that. But how do you think the first person decided, like, up until this point, all the books about vampires have had them as these creepy old men yeah. that are monstrous and disgusting. I'm going to make this a young, sexy, 25-year-old guy with a surfer body and charming eyes, blah, blah, blah. I, can't, I think it comes from that whole, like, drinking blood to stay youthful part of the... Equation. Um, fiction, like... Yeah, because there's, like, stories and, like, literature about people drinking blood to stay young that aren't necessarily vampires. There's something else. I think maybe that's where it comes from. And obviously, once there was films, not just books, books, 
there was also then, well, who do you cast as a vampire? Oh, well, let's cast Brad Pitt as the vampire. Right. And of course, he's sexy. Like, no one wants to watch, like, you know, the fucking creepy 50 year old dude who, like, isn't necessarily attractive to them. Speak for yourself. Creep around. Like, are you making him a monster? Are you ma- part of the whole like vampire thing? Is that it, it's alluring? It's like they kind of seduce you. They seduce you. Yeah. Which is where I think the compelling thing comes from in Vampire Diaries. It's taken to a new level by saying it's this ability we have to mind control. But really, it's just rooted in that that whole vampires can easily seduce and they're like charming and good looking and. I know. So I think it's a combination of those two things. But yeah, I'm, I do do love a good vampire. The other thing that I sometimes think is, in most of these universes, for obvious reasons, they have to have it so that even if vampires are more powerful and intelligent and sophisticated than humans, they do keep a low profile the world doesn't know about them or their culture yeah they are kind of behind the scenes incognito and the thing to me is if there are like tens of thousands of vampires all over the world and one of them had a kind of aberrant worldview where they wanted the world to know it would be trivial for them to do something that shocked the world and showed that vampires existed and so probabilistically speaking at some point one of them would have just gone to times square and stabbed themselves in the head with a sword and said look i don't die i'm a vampire yeah but there's always going to be reasons why people they why they don't want to expose themselves like whether it's because if we're exposed people will then start building things that can take us out easily do you know what i mean because when you think about it when most of the vampire um stories out there have it so that they all they have to do is be staked you know you can arm people with things weapons that are like more you know like guns for instance with wooden bullets like wooden bullets that's what they use in like why does the stake have to be wood why can't it just be a metal stake aka a bullet I don't know, but it has to. That's strange. Um, but the other thing but is... But obviously that it's not like that in Twilight. And that goes back to what you said earlier about how it's kind of silly the way they have to be pulled apart. Yeah, you can't stake them because they won't die. You have to rip them apart and burn the pieces because you can't just rip them apart and leave the pieces there because they will connect back together. And, yeah, so you have to... So the only thing that can kill them has to be something strong enough to rip them apart. And they're not made out of flesh. They were, Her whole thing is that they, when they turn into a vampire, they become frozen. So their body turns to, like, some kind of stone or, like, granite or whatever. Um, and so it's really hard to pull them apart. So not just anyone can kill them. And another thing in Twilight is that there's, like, an unspoken rule about how you can't expose yourself because there's essentially a vampire government who will come and kill you. Otherwise known as the Conservatives yeah. in the UK. <laughs> the <do-douche>. um, <laughs> so, yeah, so there are I those. get that it is a risky position to out yourselves as a species. But at the same time, there would surely be some selfish outsider who didn't feel a part of this whole vampire world, who realised that 
if I start making a daily vlog about how I'm a vampire and proving it in each video, he would become the most famous person in the world. Yeah. And that's obviously alluring to a creature like a vampire who are often portrayed as vain and self-interested and power hungry and blah 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 i think another reason why it might necessarily not have worked as well in fiction so far that knowing that vampires is a thing is um is like a mainstream thing because is because they know as soon as like the world knows there's vampires half of the world will hate them and half of the world will want to be one. And I think that's probably why it doesn't really work in fiction, that it's like a known thing, because so many people will want to be one for the fact that you can live forever. And they're like hipsters. They want to keep their subculture small and <laughs> insular. Yeah. If everyone becomes a vampire man, then it's not cool to be a vampire anymore. Hey, I was a vampire before it was cool. <laughs> So, like, vampire, the whole vampire thing, it's going to die, it dies down and then it always comes back. And I, uh, like, there there have been a few shows that have started that have, like, vampires in them that I haven't watched. But I think True Blood is the only one that went on to be big that I didn't watch. Everything else usually, usually gets cancelled. So, yeah. I think for I think, the love of God... We should wrap up the vampire yeah, talk. I could talk about it forever. I get that. I could talk about my favourite subgenres of yeah. fiction. I could talk about cyberpunk for about a hundred years. I could gush about it endlessly. I get I get why you want to talk about it. It is interesting. I like the the fact that they're they are basically all vampires across the fictions, but they have like different distinguishing features, yeah. which gives them certain abilities and certain constraints, which then engenders certain narrative tropes in each one. I think, just to round this out, I'm thinking in my head, I think the Twilight Vampires would vampires the twilight vampires would be able to kill the buffy vampires but the vampire diaries vampires might be able to kill the twilight vampire diaries the vampire diaries every time they vampire i want to add diaries at the end purely just because the vampires in buffy are the most fragile in that you're only really staying alive as a vampire if you're, like, smart about it, if that makes sense. Whereas, like, in the other ones, they're, they're better than everyone else because they're, like, their strength is, like, OP, as you would say. Whereas, like, they're not, like, they're not, like, oh, my God, amazing in Buffet. I think it's probably because vampires are not the main characters, do you know what I mean? Like, Buffy's right. the main character. She has to be seen as better than the vampires. Whereas in the in Twilight and the Vampire Diaries, it's very much like... It's all about them. Yeah. This is a moot point because Van Helsing could kill them all. <sighs> Fuck Van Helsing. You would say that as a vampire. Mm. What? I always knew. <laughs> I saw the saying? fang marks on Rudy's butt. Oh, yeah, I've been drinking You've been blood. draining his cat blood. Oh, this is horrible. It's a delicacy. What if, stay with me, to go back to the vet topic, what if vets worldwide are just a cover for vampires taking blood from household pets? Oh, and, my God. And using that as their reserves in case they ever Sad. run out? 
that and that's why if you take Poppy your... was had by a vampire. Uh, you had to take it to a dark place. Sad. You took it there. I was going to say, that's why if you bring them in and they've got like some kind of fur condition, they're like, yeah, we need to take two pints of blood. And you're like, why? That's and a lot like, of blood out of a little animal. Because it's tasty. Mm. Animal blood means you're not... When you drink animal blood, though, I think it's like this in Twilight and in Vampire Diaries. You're not as strong as if you were to drink human blood. Well, if you I'm drink... not sure about Twilight, actually, but definitely Vampire Diaries. What if you drink over vampire blood? Yeah, there is. In the Vampire Diaries, the originals, like the dad of the originals, he turns into a vampire hunter because he hates what he created and he feeds off of the vampires. And so does he, he get even more powerful, or is it just... He's just more powerful because he's an original. The same baseline. So it's not distinguished. Okay. Just, well, if you yeah. drink fish blood, does that give you aquatic powers? Kind of, I feel like fish don't have blood. I mean, they do. That's <laughs> That came out wrong. When I think of a fish... I don't really think of, like, circulating blood. Yeah, I don't either. Like, you can't really... What I feel like there wouldn't be very much in there. There's obviously some. They're like little snacks. They're like Capri Suns. <laughs> I do love a Capri Sun. You just jab a straw into a fish head. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I feel you? like someone did this. They got, like, an animal and just put a straw in it. This is weird. Yeah, I don't know. And deviant. Yeah. And Peter is going to send us a... Cease and desist letter for animal cruelty in our hypotheticals. For like 90% of that sentence, I was like, who the fuck is Peter? <laughs> oh, you don't know Peter <laughs> Rabbit? I don't know. Baelish? Yeah. I was. Is it Peter Baelish? Yeah. But his mm. first name is spelled in a really weird fantasy-esque way. Oh, it is? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I'm taking that out, by the way. <laughs> okay. Should I just leave this leave in? Leave the laughing in. I'm going to take out the line that you said, which spoils something yeah. that happened in Game of Thrones. And then you're going to say, I can't. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, give me the first I can't copy. believe you just... <laughs> you did that. Think how annoyed you would be if you were listening to a podcast. I know. I didn't even think about it. And I just they were said just it. like, lol, this happened. I know. I didn't even think about it. I just said it. I'm here to chastise you. Yeah. I'm here to try and civilize you, finally. About that. When I found you, you were living what? in the forest. No. You were in a bestial state. I, was. I taught and you, you language. Me. And I taught you culture. What is wrong with you? And I taught you table manners. That's why we have I still don't have those. Six different forks when we eat <laughs> pizzas. Okay, give me the first topic before okay. I garrot you. I would prefer not to be garroted well, if I have my druthers. You don't. Okay, I guess I'm gonna be garroted then. Yep. It just ends. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of piano wire being unspooled is heard. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the first topic. We shall finally get there, even though we're like, whatever, an hour and a half into the Seven podcast. Hours into it. So, for full transparency, we just went and peed. <laughs> and I, like, stalked the room because I thought I heard a buzzing and if you all remember back to episode two or whatever, uh, you definitely don't. When there was a fucking wasp in here, and I was Attacking freaking us. the sh- the fuck out. Well, I thought I could hear a little buzzy buzz. 
but it was actually just your imagination. It was just my imagination. I can hear the trees rustling outside. It's a pretty sound. It's going to be autumn soon. Not soon enough, if you ask me. Yeah. Okay. Give me the first topic. Okay, so. So. The first topic is not actually based on anything I've read. It's just something that I've been thinking about. And something that I think we often have conversations about, or at least in the same kind of vein. Something that we both find kind of fascinating. But it's basically just the idea of how fucking weird is sleep? (laughs) And how fucking weird is dreaming? Every night, every person on Earth lays down and goes into this weird dream state Mm. where... Sometimes you're playing out these strange fantasies, whether sexual or not. Sometimes you're having these horrific, nightmarish ordeals. Sometimes you're just replaying mundane things that happened during the day and trying to process them. But whatever it is, you go to this strange, otherworldly, subconscious plane and carry out all these strange scenes and then you wake up in the morning and no one talks about it and you're supposed to just go on about your day normally i just find that so bizarre and i find it so weird that it isn't talked about more and so i thought it would be an appropriate topic for us to oddballs yeah because the only time anyone really mentions it outside of like close people like say if it was me and you or whatever like, you don't necessarily go up to a per- someone at work and be like, I had the weirdest dream last night. And I mean, obviously some people do, but I feel like the dream has to be really extreme and interesting for you to want to tell. Or like funny, tell. a funny anecdote. Yeah, like an acquaintance. Or, guess who was in my dream last night? Silla Black. Like, do you know that what I mean? That would be strange. That would be strange. Unless you're like 65. Talking about how weird sleeping and dreaming is, I think it's weirder if you don't dream. Because there are some people that... Well, not that they don't dream, but they don't remember their dreams. So to them, it's as if they don't dream. Right. Um, and I think that's weirder. But that's probably just because I have, like a lot of people, very vivid dreams. And every night. Like, it's rare when I wake up and I don't in my mind think about, oh, that was a strange dream. Oh, that was a scary nightmare. Oh, that was a weird... Do you know what I mean? Like, usually something is happening in my dream. Yeah, so it's very odd. I think it's probably weirder that people don't or don't remember their dreams. Do you remember your dreams, like, often? I would say sometimes. It has to be a very remarkable, very strongly emotionally affecting dream for me to remember it into the day. I always know what I've just dreamt about the moment I wake up. But then because you're in that kind of hypnopompic limbo where Mm. you're coming to your senses and you're shaking off the shackles of sleep and REM dreaming it does just kind of drift away unless you grab onto it and really think about it or write it down like it fades away throughout the day more and more unless you're actively thinking about it how often would you say then that you have dreams like that where they're so significant or they're so powerful that i remember them into the day well no not just that but how often do you dream where it's like it 
how often do you like oh that was just like a mundane dream about like day-to-day things and then how often do you dream where it's like more on the more extreme side whether it be like a fantasy or a nightmare or something just weird i would say that and again this is kind of a strange catch-22 because maybe i just don't remember them because of what they are but i don't have mundane dreams or at least i I don't don't think i have mundane dreams almost ever i do sometimes and they are almost more strange because they're so set in everyday situations and they're so unremarkable that gives them that tinge of kind of uncanniness that creeps you out a little bit but i'd say they're they're quite rare compared to the more fantastical adventures and traumatizing situations the dreams that i have that are on the more mundane side that are kind of like rarer even then it's like oh this not nothing's really happening but tom cruise is there right like something weird will offset the fact that nothing is happening in the dream whereas obviously sometimes dreams are like stories or it's a nightmare and you have to get away from someone or you're replaying a memory in your head um so for me, the mundane ones, usually they're not actually mundane because someone weird is there or someone someone is doing something weird in an, in an otherwise normal situation. Yeah, I get that. How often or do you ever have that kind of glass-breaking moment where you realise you're in a dream? Um, I have a recurring nightmare that I won't go into too much detail about because I don't want to. Because <laughs> it involves Tom Cruise shilling yeah. for Mission Impossible 7. But it's like a really personal traumatic thing that I went through. And so it's a recurring nightmare that I am stuck there. And even though it's a nightmare in that it's really horrible and terrible and I really want out of this situation, I do know that it's a nightmare because, yeah, I do know that it's a nightmare because it's like in the nightmare I'm saying to myself... I don't want to be here. I know I'm not really here, but my nightmares are telling me that I am really here and that when I wake up I might really be here, even though I actually do know it's a dream. Whereas, like... Sometimes they'll be like, I don't know, whether it's like something fantastical or whatever, you don't necessarily know it's a dream. And then you wake up and as soon as you've woken up, you know it's a dream. And it seems so odd to you that you could have occupied that space, being on some kind of Jules Verne-esque airship and not realised, hey, this is ridiculous, I'm clearly in a dream. Whereas I don't... I think there's only ever been one time where I woke up and was confused about whether something was a dream or not. And I think it was like, it was like a dream when I was like a teenager and I'd had like a fight with someone, like a physical fight in my dream. And I woke up thinking it really happened the day before, but it dissipated really quickly. Like after like a few minutes, I was like, oh, that didn't really happen. Right. Whereas sort of oppositely, Throughout my day, I'll remember something. And sometimes I say it out loud to you, or sometimes it's just a thought. And I'll be like, oh, no, that's not real. That was something that happened in my dream. Like, 
which goes to show I do obviously dream about mundane things but I don't necessarily remember them because like sometimes I'll dream I'll remember a few days later or whatever something silly like I bought something from the shop and in my mind I'll think oh I'm gonna eat that because I know it's in the fridge or the cupboard but wait it's not because that was in my dream right that type of thing that's very peculiar that happens to me yeah yeah so like you said sometimes you will forget the dreams that you had that night or the previous night and then every so often things will align perfectly so what you're doing in real life the next day kind of triggers that memory fragment and you realize like hey i had a dream where i was i don't know in a race car or i was cleaning dishes or i was walking in london or something like that and it feels weird because you realize that you had all these dreams that you had forgotten until just then i don't know if like i forget that i had because that happens to me too like days or whatever or a week will pass and i'll be like oh that yeah you're right you'll have that moment of like oh that reminds me i had a weird dream the other night that blah 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 and i don't know if it's because i forgot the dream initially or it's because I actually think I dream several dreams a night. Right. Because sometimes I remember that I had several dreams. I'd be like, oh, I was having a dream about such and such, and then it morphed into this other dream. Right. And then, actually, before I woke up, I had a nightmare. And I know that that's all happened in one night's sleep. Whereas if that happens to me every night that I dream several dreams, I definitely don't remember several dreams every Most day. Most of them fall by the wayside in the morning. So maybe that's what's happening a few days later. Oh, yeah, I dreamt about... And I'm only just remembering now because this thing in front of me has made me remember. And then there's also those very unsettling moments when you wake up from either a nightmare or just a dream that was so intense that it was unpleasant. And you're there on your pillow and you're thinking i don't want to go straight back to sleep because i will jump back into yes, that dream yes and i find oftentimes even if i do instantly close my eyes and fall back asleep which is generally what happens because it's very hard to keep yourself awake when you're nine temps still asleep i find that i don't go back into that same oh, dream oh i do sucks I, to be you yeah it does suck but oppositely what also happens is, is I'm, if I'm having a really good dream, like a fantasy dream or something, like we're in New York or whatever, I can also go back into a fantasy dream. That's the flip side. Yeah, it depends on how deep asleep I am. Usually if it's like I'm really deep asleep and then I wake up, like I've been woken up by something, like Rudy or there was a noise or whatever. And Rudy does or wake you, us up many times yeah. a night with his yowling. Or... Another time I know it happens is, is if I've had a particularly long sleep. Right. And I do sleep quite a long time anyway. Yeah, you, that's another weird thing. The differences that can arise in how much sleep someone needs, because you generally sleep for about 12 hours (laughs) and I sleep for eight hours. No, you sleep closer to nine or 10 hours now. I mean, In the last couple of weeks, yes, but for most of my life, it's been eight hours. Whereas like, a couple of days this week, I've slept 15 hours. God damn. <laughs> and so Borderline if I wake comatose. up at like the 11 hour mark and I'm still in a deep sleep, that's the type of time I know I can jump back into a dream. Another side of dreams that is like really shitty is like, 
having a really bad dream or an intense dream that's like negative in any way waking up and it's staying with you for the whole day yeah. like it alters your mood i'm not talking i mean i'm sure this happens for some people but i'm not talking about like oh we just had like a scary nightmare about like a ghost or whatever a ghost usually for me it's like i have a nightmare about something that's actually happened like that traumatic recurring dream i have it and i'm stuck like i sometimes call like you'll already be awake when i wake up from it and i'll call you into the room and i'm like I had the dream again and I was stuck and I couldn't get out. And what happens then is I wake up in in an upset mood for whatever reason. And it affects me for like definitely the first part of the day. But I have had it happen where it's like for the whole day now. Yeah. I'm just like depressed. It's understandable. Um, but that's shit. It's like, like your mind has tied you up and tortured you for the last like four hours if that happened to you in real life no one would be like why are you so moody today mm. they'd be like of course you're traumatized yeah. slash you know upset i definitely think that's something to do with ptsd i'm sure it happens obviously with people who don't have ptsd but it's definitely the same or like close to the same no not the same it's similar to when in your waking day like you have a flashback to something that triggers your ptsd it's the same as that in that you wake up and it's like all that stuff that happened just happened you're not now six years away from it you're actually only a day away from it and that's kind of what it's like it's intense. Yeah. I'm sure it's similar for people who have like phobias and then have like a phobia dream. And it's like, I oh, was man. just been traumatized by my phobia, but actually yeah. it was really just a dream. I do sometimes have spider dreams where yeah. I'm being attacked by spiders. And they're all, I, this is a weird thing, but they're always insanely fast. Yes. Like so fast that I can't possibly just squish them. Because obviously in real life, if I was getting quote unquote attacked by a spider, I could just ultimately step on it. But in the dream, it's always like skittering around the walls at breakneck speed. And it's so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And when I wake up from those dreams, like you said, you're just so unsettled and so disquieted by what you just went through. It feels so ridiculous to then just go and pour yourself a bowl of cornflakes and sit down and watch some TV. It feels like, no, something crazy just happened to me. I can't now just pretend everything is the same. Yeah. What's also weird is if another person does something to you in a dream, someone real. So as I like, I've had a dream where you've cheated on me. Sure. Like I've definitely had that dream at some point. And so... The next day, I wasn't, like, upset with you, like, it had really happened. But at the same time, it did a little bit feel like it had happened for the first part of the day. But then your mind works it out, like, no, stupid, this didn't happen and it's not going to happen. But for some people who can't necessarily work it out in their mind, it feels like it actually happened and they will actually be mad with that person. It's like when Phoebe's mad at Ross for the dream and they play the game to figure out why she's mad. And it turns out she tells this ridiculous story and he's like, was that a dream or whatever? And she's like, oh yeah. But like... 
Because in a sense, it did happen to you. Yeah, because you saw it. Because you your brain it. received the same type of stimuli it would have if you had seen it in real yeah. life. And so it processes it in the same way. And it has the same emotional effect on you. That's why things like flashbacks and like nightmares can have such an effect. Because, like you said, you are experiencing a part of what actually happened. Um, like... When, for instance, I know I've had a dream that you cheated, it wasn't like you came into the house in my dream and said that you cheated on me. I saw it in my dream. So in my dream, I actually saw you with another woman. Whereas I know that didn't actually happen. Why does it have to be another woman, huh? You're so heteronormative in your cheating dreams. That's just what it was in my dream, okay? Should have been me and Jared Leto. Yeah. That's my fucking wet dream. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Don't know how to respond to that. Jordan Catalano. Don't know who that is. People who know, know. And the people who don't, don't. They can suck it. Yeah, you. I've totally... Lo- oh, what I just said also made me think about what I've seen a few actors say. This is not about dreaming, but it's made me think of it. Um, I saw like an... I watched a show recently called Big Little Lies, and it has Nicole Kidman in it, and in it, her character... Spoiler alert not really a spoiler because it happens straight away she gets beaten by her husband and they have like usually afterwards they have like really like aggressive sex and stuff as well and she was saying how like she would go home at the end of the day and feel really traumatized and one night in her hotel she threw a rock through a window because she was like so angry and i can't remember who she was talking about it with um, I watched it on one of those like roundtable interviews that they have. With those are always the, good. Yeah, and she was saying how like because your your mind knows it's not real, but your body doesn't. Yeah, because your body still gets hit, your body still gets thrown around the room. You still have to act as if it's real. So for that period of time, in a sense, that really did happen to you, and so. It's like that in for some dreams and for some nightmares. Like when I say I've woken up from a bad nightmare where I'm stuck in that horrible place again and I can't get away, for a minute when I wake up, I really feel like I'm stuck. Or in my mind, even though I know it's a dream, I think for a second, I'm going to wake up and be stuck there. This is actually going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's like in your dream when you have dreams about like spiders and stuff. It's like you may or may not know it's a dream, but for that moment while you're in the dream, you still have to run away from the spider. You still wake up sweating and afraid and yeah. with adrenaline coursing through your veins because your body reacted the same way as it would if you were presented with a real threat in real life. And a weird thing that I've sometimes noticed is just by itself, even though it seems like kind of a innocuous thing, going back to what we were talking about earlier, but which can also have a very startling, very disquieting effect on you, is when you have a false awakening in a dream, where in the dream you imagine that you've woken up and now you're in the real world, mm. but you've just gone one level deeper in the dream. Does to that use happen to you? Inception-esque <laughs> terms. Yeah, sometimes it will be like in the dream, something crazy is happening. And then it will instantly flip to me being in 
my actual bed in our apartment waking up and so oh, from yeah. then on you feel like you're in this strange position of thinking that was a dream and now i'm in the real world but crazy dream That's type horrible. things are still happening to you and so it makes you feel like you're going crazy like second-guessing yourself that i don't think has happened to me i have not that i remember i have that sometimes and i also have like i mentioned before i do sometimes have the realization that i'm in a dream but yeah. it's very and this is kind of weird when you think about it it's very fleeting in terms of i have that epiphany moment where it's like wait i'm in a dream right now that couldn't have actually happened but it then doesn't carry on to the rest of the dream it's like i realize it and then forget it and the dream just carries on yeah. unchanged unhindered whereas for people who actually know how to lucid dream that's how they enter that position of power over the dream uh. there's lots of different techniques like you're supposed to look at a clock on the wall or your hands because those things always look weird in dreams i don't know why that is but especially with clocks apparently they're supposed to be kind of like salvador dali-esque floppy surfaces that just don't look right and that kind of triggers you into realizing that you're in a dream or there's a technique where you knock on doorways in real life every time you go for a doorway and then when you do it in the dream you realize that you're in the dream and at that point from then on to the end of the dream they realize that that's what's going on they realize they're in a dream and i can control this and so it's very very different between what i can do and what someone who has that capability can do i watched a film recently called comet and it's a very dreamlike film and at one point you realize that the film might be a dream but it's not answered definitively by the end of the film and at one point he's even talking about i had a dream that i came here and we talked and blah blah, blah. <clears throat> and at one point he says like to the other character about how she'd like written a book or whatever and he picks up the book and when he opens it it's just gibberish gibberish that's also an, a yeah. classic lucid dream because technique. There's no way he could have known what it was. It was like a, an academic text as well. It wasn't like something he could have just made up. Um, so I never thought about that. I don't really have dreams like that where I'm wandering around, wondering whether it's a dream, knowing it's a dream, being able to control it's a dream. The things that I can control... Do you ever, like, look forward to dreaming? No. Like, if you've had a really good dream, like a fantasy dream... And it was really intense, and then you wake up and you're like, "Oh, that was like really good dream." The next night, don't you ever do you ever have like? Because like that happens to me sometimes, and then the next night, I, for like it's not really. Oh, I spend the day looking forward to going to sleep, but if I'm close to bedtime, and I think about knowing that I'm going to be going to sleep soon. I have that fleeting moment of like I get to enjoy I that get again. to go back into that dream if I want to, and it doesn't always happen, um, but sometimes it it starts it definitely starts by letting me into the dream for the beginning, but I don't know if it, it lets me you. yeah like because I think it's the power of thought, 
sometimes you have fantasy dreams because that's what you're thinking about before you go to sleep. Um, I've had dreams about, like, my favourite actors because I know I might have spent the day watching their movies. Like, I know I've had dreams involving the Vampire Diaries recently because I've been binging it all day. And so... I sometimes look forward to that. I know I'm going to be able to jump into something fun for like at least the first part of my night. And so I do have that fleeting moment of like maybe I'll get to. I get that. Um, I just don't get that because I know I can never count on it being replicated the next night. Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah, I guess I can't count on it either, but it's always fun when you do also unexpectedly have dreams with like your favorite famous people or like your favorite author or you jump into a world like one of your favorite fictionalized yeah. worlds or whatever. That is like really fun. Good dreams are really good. They're really good. And that's why bad dreams yeah. are really rad. But yeah. The thing that you mentioned earlier kind of reminds me of something that happens in my dreams where you're saying how the guy opened the book and it was just gibberish because he couldn't know what was actually in that real life book. Mm. I do sometimes have that type of moment in my dreams where either a TV will turn on or someone is telling me something that I don't know in real life or I'm entering a situation that I've never been in real life. And there's almost kind of a hiccup moment where my brain is almost like a computer is buffering yeah. where and this is often what will give me that epiphany moment of oh i'm in a dream because i will notice that my brain is trying to figure out what it's going to insert into that empty space and oftentimes when i wake up the next day and i think back to what cockamamie bullshit my brain inserted <laughs> into that moment i'm like i can't believe i didn't realize that this was made up because I'd never seen this TV show before. And so my brain just threw complete nonsense on the screen. But in the dream, it compelled me to think that this was actually convincing and past for whatever it was trying to recreate. But you don't ever question that facsimile, no matter how ludicrous it is, because you are infinitely credulous in dreams, infinitely gullible. What do you think about people who hold this like great meaning behind dreams who like analyze dreams in, right in, like because my mom's big on like i would because i am very much that person who the next day says oh i had a weird dream or i had a dream and it was about this or whatever and i do often have real world dreams in terms of like traumas or memories or issues to do with family members so some of them are really obvious, like, oh, you're obviously missing someone or... Because I have dreams about my nan, especially around, like, her birthday or the right. anniversary of her death. So those things are obvious. Yeah. You're missing that person. You're thinking about that person a lot. So you're dreaming. them. So, yeah, so my mum's kind of big on that because she would always be like, well, that means... That probably means that blah, blah, blah. And she could pick up on the not-so-obvious things. I don't know if it's because of her like field like she's done like a psychology degree and so you know you do sometimes find that the people who are very obsessed about analyzing dreams for their 
significance and their spiritual meaning they do often tend to be the same people who are interested in horoscopes and crystals and all that woo-woo nonsense and so i think that does (laughs) sorry mom (laughs) she's into that stuff yeah i'm just saying like it does make it seem kind of disreputable but obviously there is a real psychological field of analyzing dreams for their actual subconscious relevance like analyzing it in a kind of freudian style Mm. um yeah so i kind of like buy into that to a certain extent like in terms of like like i was saying if i'm dreaming about my nan or whatever it's probably because i miss her like I'll dream about such and such famous person because I've been watching their movies or or I'm a big fan of theirs. And so they're obviously on my mind somewhere. Um, So I buy into that to a certain extent. And obviously I also have like my trauma dreams and that's because I went through a trauma. But then I do also think sometimes your mind is just taking all the information that you've especially the amount of information that that people like us take in throughout the day it's taking all that information all the images that you've scanned past that you probably haven't even realized you've taken in all the movies you've watched all the shows you've watched all the things you've read all your own stories of your life and it's just thrown a bunch of shit it's just together a jumble. yeah so sometimes it doesn't mean anything it's just your brain playing processing. around yeah yeah exactly and so I think it's not always, yeah. oh, you need to do this. Your brain's trying to figure like figure out this emotion that you're trying to deal with. Like It's not always that, I don't It's think. not always profound. Yeah. When I have a sex dream about <laughs> some celebrity I find hot, there's no deeper significance yeah. to that. It just is what it is. But then other times you do have... Like, I can think of, in my past specific dreams that had a real lasting effect on me Mm. where i mean obviously the proof is in the pudding in that i can actually remember them and i know now having thought about them a lot since then what they meant give me an example okay i mean i would say the one that instantly springs to mind is years and years ago I had this dream, and I can't remember very much about it anymore. I can really only remember the climax, and I don't mean that as a pun. I mean the end of the dream where it came to its conclusion. (laughs) Basically, at the end of the dream, for whatever reason, there was a comet hurtling towards Earth, and I was with my mom, and we were trying to escape and we were trying to get somewhere or something along those lines. Or maybe we were just trying to hide underground or something like that. And so we went through this whole frantic kind of fighting against this inevitable fate type thing. And then at the very end of the dream, the comet was just about to crash into Earth. And there was this incredibly loud noise and almost like the same pitch like constantly like white noise but it was completely deafening and there was this white light that was kind of blinding as well so it was like sensory overload and we were looking at each other and screaming something to each other but we couldn't 
hear each other or the words weren't intelligible because the noise was so loud that even though we were yelling at the top of our lungs we couldn't make out the words it's and then intense. it is yeah and then the comet hit and the dream ended and i woke up and Sad. the significance of that dream is i was so emotionally affected by that dream that i called my mom and i told her that i loved her Aww. And I think, and looking back, maybe this is kind of too much armchair psychology from a layman, but I think it might have been something along the lines of because in the dream it was like I was trying to say something to her and she didn't hear it, and so it was missed or it didn't happen yeah. or whatever. Maybe it was it was something along the lines of I felt like I didn't tell my mom that I loved her enough. Like I was worried that I hadn't said that enough or that I hadn't made sure she knew that. And so that's why I think when I woke up and I was in that very like discombobulated state, like very emotionally unstable, I made that phone call. And I think that's why it had that effect on me. So that's a dream that I will always remember because it was like, like you said, incredibly intense and it had like a very strong effect on me. I'm still very much like in the... Oh, of that dream. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think we experience that to a lesser degree quite often. Like, if you have, like, an intense dream about something, maybe nothing, like, catastrophic is happening, but you wake up and feel more of a certain way about things, like, um, like, sometimes I'll wake up from bad dreams and I'll want to be really close to you or... I don't know. I'm not explaining it right. But I think I think we experience that type of thing often. to a lesser degree often. Yeah. It when you wake up it pushes you towards certain adopting things, yeah. certain behaviours more. Another dream and this is a, in a completely different category, but another example of that type of dream where I can remember it had an effect and I had to find some way to kind of resolve it was and I can I this is so long ago I was a young kid I must have been mm. like maybe eight or nine I kept having this recurring nightmare and I can't remember almost anything about it apart from I was in a supermarket at night so no one was there and all the lights were off and I was being chased by some kind of monster or serial killer or demon or whatever and I kept having this same dream over and over and over again where I was being hunted down and I was, you know, liable to be killed if I was caught. So it was very frightening, very disturbing. And then one night I kind of thought to myself, why am I passive in this dream? Why am I just responding to what's happening? I don't know whether... I can actually fight back. But in this dream, I've never done that so far. So that's why it's always been so scary. And then when I fell asleep that night, the same dream happened again because I'd been having it every night. But I found like weapons scattered around oh, wow. the store. It's very video game-esque. Yeah. And I fought back. And I, I forget whether I killed whatever the monster or the creature was. But just that sense of taking back agency and not being kind of the person that 
the event is happening to, but someone who is partaking in the event and trying to shape it in their favour. That was enough to end the nightmare streak. Yeah, when I have nightmares, I am usually, it's something's happening to me and I can't do anything about it. Or I can't, like, do anything past a certain point. Whereas you do have nightmares kind of like video games. Yeah. Where you have to do, like, all this crazy shit to, like, get out of it. That's so strange how, like, you had the thought of, like, why can't I get away or whatever, and it's because you didn't have, like, the tools, and now you have the tools. It's strange when you think that you could, like... Pick up a chainsaw in the cereal aisle. (laughs) No, but you could say there's going to be a chainsaw in the cereal aisle waiting for you, and there is one. Um, That's if you can lucid dream. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh... That's cool. I wonder, like, it made me think when you were talking about having this, like, strange nightmare when you were so young, how, like, some nightmares, what are they made out of, if that makes sense? What do they, where do they come from? Um, Because I used to have a recurring nightmare when I was little, like, from as early as I can remember, about drowning but I'd never gone swimming. This was before I'd ever gone swimming. Um, I didn't know how to swim yet. So I'm pretty sure I had never gone swimming before. Um, and that's also why I didn't learn to swim at like a really early age, like a lot of people. Like, I think it was like I was 10 or 11 before I learned to swim because I always had these nightmares of drowning. So I wonder where that came from. Like, why was I having this nightmare about drowning if I'd never right. been... Do you think you I'm... could have gleaned the fear kind of secondhand from seeing a movie where someone was thrashing about in the water? Possibly. Are you old enough to have seen Jaws in the movie theatres? <laughs> no, but I did see Jaws. I don't remember being scared by Jaws. Um... I do remember, though, watching one of the Freddy films, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, when I was, like, really young, so younger than 10. So, yeah, so I probably couldn't swim. And it's the one in the where she's in the bathtub and she's drowning in the bathtub because it's, like, all of a sudden she's in, like, the sea or whatever. There's no bottom to the bathtub. And it terrifying me to the point where I didn't want to have a bath. But I'm pretty sure I had the nightmares before that. I mean, I can't say for certain. And then I I wonder if it was, like, something to do with the womb. Like, (laughs) being in the womb. Getting very Freudian now. But also, it also could have just been... My mum said when I was little, I was scared of everything. I was scared of grass. I was scared of snow. I was scared of, like, everything. This is very, very weird. Yeah, so it might just be that I was just scared of everything. Right. I didn't know what it I didn't know what it was or whether it was going to hurt me. I was scared of it. So, yeah, it might just have been that. Honestly. And, but, and water's not, like, a weird thing to be scared no. of. Because you hadn't started swimming yet, maybe it was your anticipation yeah. of all the horrors that could accompany yeah. this mundane activity probably because once you start swimming you realize 
swimming pools a aren't that deep yeah. b you've probably got the little floaties on your arms uh-huh. c there's people all around the swimming pool adults who can save you blah 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 so it's actually a very safe recreational activity uh, um <laughs> <laughs> i think it is um, i'm not saying that no one ever drowns <laughs> and then i think things like well I'm claustrophobic. Right. And there's not like a stretch between that and being scared of water because it's essentially just you're scared of suffocating. Yeah. And that's what claustrophobia is basically. But then I think to myself, actually, I don't, I wasn't claustrophobic when I was really little. I know that's something that came later in life. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is because you felt trapped in the womb and you were surrounded by the amniotic fluid that was drowning you and this memory has stayed hidden in a tiny crevice of your brain all these years and it's come back to haunt you is it funny that's what some people would say yeah that is what some people would say yeah and maybe once because i didn't don't remember really i mean i've had like drowning nightmares since i was little but not the same and nowhere near in terms of like the same time of yeah. it's not something I have now. Right. Whereas it was like a recurring dream when I was little. It's not now. Like I don't remember the last time I had one. So what if the like fear of swimming once I started to learn to swim turned into claustrophobia? Like yeah. Because actually no, I'm not going to say that because. I am still scared of the water in the sense that I'm not going to ever go into the sea because why the fuck would you crazy people and i can't like swim underwater because i'm too scared to and i also can't really jump into the deep end because of how far you go under the water and how long it takes to come back up so i can swim like the only reason i go i do actually enjoy being in the water in terms of like swimming how, how like how it feels the water feels and how like it soothes you and stuff but i can basically i can do the basic amount of swimming i'm not like fast doggy paddle can't do it a lot my preference is breaststroke okay. like so yeah so i don't really think i've overcome that completely i've just learned the basic amount I think that's the problem with the way that your brain forces you to confront your fears in your dreams. It's never really going to help you overcome that real life fear because in the dream, you don't get given the ability to be brave and to stand up to it and to fight back and to say, I'm not afraid. It just kind of overwhelms you and frightens you and just drags you under. Mm. And that's why I think the childhood fears that you have, if you don't confront them and overcome them in real life, they will just keep reoccurring in your dreams because in the dream world, they're completely invulnerable Mm. to you actually tackling them head on and and putting them behind you. I don't really like this idea though of like, oh, you have a fear of something, well, you have to confront it. Like, I don't want to ever confront a spider. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's different. Look him dead in his eight eyes. (laughs) Because phobias, I guess, are different from fears. Yeah. Like, I don't have a phobia of water. I just, it scares me. And I used to have drowning dreams. It whereas, sounds like maybe you do have a phobia. Yeah, but, like, whereas spiders is actually a phobia. Like, I can see the, the like, 
well, you need to learn to swim in case you're ever, like, stuck in water or you want to go swimming. But they're not ever going to be like, you need to confront your fear of spiders because there are spiders in the world. Okay, I don't give a shit. I like, live I in have, a building. Like, I have no desire to get over this fear to have a more convenient life. It's too traumatic to be confronted with it. Like, whereas swimming was more like, you should really learn to swim now because you're going to start having swimming, let swimming at school. Okay, I'll learn to swim. It's a bit difficult for me, so I did it in less time than most people. But I eventually learned to swim, and now I do sometimes go swimming. Like, it's not the same. I think it's because it's a phobia, like because right. they're irrational, I guess. But yeah, when global warming means that the UK is fifteen feet underwater, <laughs> you're gonna have to learn how to tread water at least. Yeah, you're gonna have to learn how to doggy paddle your way. To the local shops, at least. Something stupid, okay? It's not the best. Stupid. Can you open your eyes underwater? No. I've never understood how people can do that. I don't understand. My mum can, I think. I don't understand. That's because she's part fish. Yeah. She looks... She's like a little mermaid when she's in the water. Like, she's always, like, swimming underwater and, like... She does have webbed toes and gills, though, right? (laughs) So she is kind of suited to the underwater environment. Yeah, I can't, I don't understand the people that, like, I can't even, you know, like, sometimes, like, when I get into the water, there's that moment where you want to, like, dunk your head so the whole of you is wet. I hold my nose and do it. Like, when you're swimming underwater, you're not holding your nose. It's just, I don't understand what you're doing. coming in, yeah. I don't understand what you're doing to make that not happen. Like, I will never let go of my nose. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're moving away from the yeah. topic. <laughs> what other dreams are there to talk about? Well, I don't. I want to move away from dreams a little bit and sort of talk about how weird sleep is. Um, there are two avenues I want to kind of talk about. Okay. One is that is sort of sleep, sort of dream. Okay. And I'll just say it because you know, wet dreams. Okay. Anyone who doesn't know what a wet dream is, it's a sex dream essentially. Okay. Isn't it, I guess? Do you think there's a lot of, like, five-year-olds yeah, listening know. to our podcast? No, but what if... Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't think... I know for boys it's different in terms of, like, mostly wet dreams are seen as something that happens to, like, teenage boys. Right. Although I know it can happen later on as well. But I don't, I don't think I knew when I was younger that, like, it's something that can happen to women as well. And I also don't think I experienced it when I was, like, a teenager. But in the last, like, however many years, it's definitely something that I've experienced. That's because my sexual energy is so (laughs) radiating outwards in just waves of crushing force. Yeah. That it magnetised you into the world of sexuality i don't even remember sometimes having like a sex dream or whatever and i would just wake up having an orgasm which is odd like in the middle yeah like in the middle of an orgasm isn't that really unsatisfying no because your orgasm doesn't stop oh okay it's not like with a guy they have to like continuously do something to have the orgasm like, does that make sense? But you realise that you're in your bed and the dream wasn't real. So doesn't that kind of pull you out of that mind I'd have state? to get really graphic to, to let you know what <laughs> I'm talking about. 
but <laughs> it's not an orgasm through friction. I n- I understand that the physical is separate from the mental. I'm just saying that when you open your eyes and you realize that you're in our apartment, not in the boudoir with <laughs> Robert Pattinson, isn't there that kind of moment where you're like, oh, that was all fake, it's not real? Yeah, but the action of okay. the orgasm is still happening. Right. Um So even though I, I'm awake and for a second I'm like wondering what's happening... My body is still okay. orgasming, orgasming. But I'm just saying, isn't it less orgasm? satisfying now you've been dragged out of the mentally pleasurable aspect of it as well? Well, I can't say that I'm ever, like, satisfied okay. by my wet dream anyway. It's not that type of orgasm. It's not like I wake up thinking, oh, yeah, I had a wet dream and it was fucking hot. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work like that for me. It's more like, oh, this is happening. It's just a thing. Like, right. it's not like a satisfying feeling. It's more just like an observation of your body doing something without. without oh, you, you know. wacky genitals. Yeah, it's very strange. It's like, yeah, like I don't even have that feeling of like euphoria because I'm half asleep. Sometimes I don't even completely come out of sleep. I just know, I'm just aware my body's doing something and then I'm asleep. Again, that's usually what happens. Like, it doesn't wake me up and then I'm awake and I'm like, oh, I just came. Like, it's not like that. It's more, yeah, it really is just. You're pulled out for a second. Your body's doing something and you're pulled out for a second. You know what it's like? Okay. (laughs) I can tell that I'm going to enjoy this by your girlish laughter. It's a little bit like wet in the bed. In Uh, terms of. I'm speechless. You don't wet the bed and wake up the next morning and you wet the bed. You wet the bed and you wake up as you're peeing. Right. Or at least in my experience. I say this <laughs> as someone who was a bedwetter until they were like 11. Okay. So I remember. Like, right. um I get the comparison. You wake up as you're peeing and you think, shit. It's like, involuntary. And now like, you're stuck in this situation. Yeah, and usually because you're peeing and it's uncomfortable, you get up. But with the orgasm, it's more like, oh, I'm orgasming, and then you go back to sleep. It must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's not the same It's not for the boys. same. For, for guys, when you have wet dreams as a teenager, it's kind of a... At, f- at first, it's kind of like an interesting novelty. And then, from then on, it's just basically inconvenient. Yeah. Supposed to be. <laughs> because, <laughs> like you said, it's not satisfying. Yeah, it's not. It's and as a guy, you have to deal with cleaning up, and you have to. You can't just go back to sleep. Yeah. Wow, I mean, you can if you really want yeah. to, or if you're, if you have just if complete. Right. I'm sure there are lots of, of teenagers hygiene. who do. Yeah, because you're a teenager at that point, you don't care. You know what? As well, like it happens to me sometimes, multiple times a night. <laughs> Must be nice to be you. <laughs> like the other day, it happened twice in one night. And I wonder if it does give me the happy hormones and that's why maybe the next day I'm happier than usual. Like, I haven't... I don't monitored, think they last that I long. I haven't monitored it. Yeah, I don't... They wouldn't last that long, you right. But yeah, it definitely happened to me twice okay. in one night the other night. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Strange, isn't it? You know what's weird about sex dreams? I told this to you the other day and this goes back to, again, how I sometimes have these momentary 
instances of clarity where it's it's very meta and i'm kind of like looking at the dream as an outsider mm. but every so often when i have a sex dream and it's just with like a random celebrity or just mm. like someone my brain has made up yeah there'll be this weird moment where i think wait i can't do this i'm cheating on samantha and then it and then I, the sex dream is like over because really? i can't i can't deal with this anymore uh-huh. That doesn't happen all the time or even all the often, but it's a very strange, surreal moment where my brain is trying to bring together and coalesce these two different mind states of one where I'm reacting the same way I would in real, real life, life and one where I'm reacting in the completely different way that you have to react in dreams for the dream to go on like you have to just accept yeah. and go along with it and my brain's trying to mash those two things together it's trying to push the square peg into the round hole that information kind of made me smile a bit in a weird girlfriendy kind of way but at the same time you're <laughs> allowed to dream whenever you want to dream about i'm so like, loyal that i won't dream cheat on you yeah that's i should put strange. that on my resume my sexual resume <laughs> Hey girl, here's my CV. I won't even dream cheat on you. <laughs> what about boys? Would you dream cheat on boys? I, I'm confused. Oh, because I said, hey, hey girl. girl. No, yeah, with boys. You have to make a separate boy resume. With boys, it's no holds barred. No holes barred. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you entertain yourself at least with these vulgar jokes, with these lewd innuendos. <laughs> Yeah. You know what's weird? Sleep. Okay. Right? <laughs> and sleep, sometimes I look forward to sleep in that, in like a tired way, in like a, I've been out all day or I've exercised today or whatever and I just feel drained or maybe something traumatic's happened so you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. You and, just give up on the day. Yeah, and you can't wait. And then there are times when you kind of look forward to sleep. Not You don't looking forward in the same way because looking forward makes you think of excitement. But sometimes you kind of anticipate sleep a bit more than usual because maybe you're depressed yeah. and you know sleep will just take it all away. It kind of resets you yeah. when you have a good long night's sleep. It's very satisfying. There's also that type of depressed feeling that you get that allows you to sleep as much as you want, which is what I sometimes get, which is why sometimes I sleep 15 hours. Because when I go, I wake up, maybe at the like 10 hour mark, I'll be like, no, I can sleep more. 12 hour mark, maybe I'm in like a particular, I call them crashes. So maybe I'm in like a crash. And so I know I'm anticipating that I'm going to wake up and feel the same as I did yesterday. And so I purposely close my eyes again and it allows me to go back to sleep for a few more hours. And that's kind of like, because they talk about how like people who are depressed sleep more. and So there's that type of looking forward to sleep, knowing you can go to sleep and kind of like get away from the sadness or whatever. Um. Well, that's super, super dark. But then there's also like, if you're have in your, if you're in like an up phase, or you're just enjoying life, there's that like I don't really want to go to sleep, so you stay awake longer, and your day, so your day ends up being twenty hours yeah. instead of like fourteen or sixteen or whatever, and you do that every night because 
you're enjoying whatever you're doing right now, whether it's hanging out with friends or playing a video game or binging a show or reading a book and you don't want to put it down. You want to just stay awake until you possibly can. Um, but you always have to go to sleep. Yeah. Even if you want to try and put it off or whatever, you always have to sleep. And sleep is so strange because sometimes sleep is kind of scary for me. I do sometimes have moments of like, I think this is why when I lie down, and we've talked about this, I don't close my eyes unless I'm like super tired. I kind of lie there with my eyes like really wide and like have, like I often have lots of really bad thoughts before sleep and I don't know if that's like the depression or if it's like I'm anxious because I don't know what's going to happen when I go to sleep. Um, And so bad thoughts kind of trickle in. And then, so then it's almost like I'm scared of sleep. Because you are kind of rolling the dice about what you're going to get. Yeah. And if I've had like a rash of like nightmares, I do then sometimes get a little bit of insomnia. I haven't had touch wood again. How many times we For the love wood? of God, stop knocking the table. <laughs> I'm not like superstitious. But anyway, I obviously am because I wouldn't do that. One of the times you're going to knock this rickety table and it's just going to collapse, yeah, taking yeah. all the mics with it. What ifs? Um, Shakespeare's holding it down. Um, <laughs> For the people who don't get that reference, they're going to find that I so I think we've mentioned it before. So if they've been listening from the beginning, what was I saying? I don't know. Yeah, so I haven't had um, like insomnia in a while. I used to get it quite a lot where I just couldn't sleep. Every night I just could not sleep no matter what I did and I would toss and turn I would try to listen to music I would watch things I'd read try and say anything and I couldn't sleep eventually of course it takes over and it makes you go to sleep and then I wouldn't sleep very long and I couldn't stay asleep and then it happened again that hasn't happened in a long time and I actually think that's because of my medication <laughs> but that sucks. Yeah. That fucking sucks. Because you're fearing sleep at the same time as really wanting sleep. And it can make you feel so crazy. It can really just make you feel mad inside. Have yeah. you have you had like insomnia? Not like, like serious insomnia. Um, where it's like a prolonged stretch of I can't get to sleep and when I do it's for two fitful hours of light sleep. Not like that. I do definitely have trouble going to sleep mm. when I know I quote unquote need to. Like I, yeah. I have to wake up the next day for something, and so I need to go to sleep at nine. Like if I then lay down at nine, my brain won't let me go to sleep until like one a.m. Yeah, you do have that. Trouble. I'll just toss and turn until then and fret about. You know, I should have been to sleep by now. If it's just a normal day, though, when you get to a point on the night or whatever, when you're like. I'm, I'm tired now, it's time for bed or whatever. We go to bed and you put your head on the pillow and you're asleep. Yeah. Like five minutes later. That never happens to me unless those nights where I know you're going to stay awake longer than me. So I basically stay awake until I'm asleep on the couch, like I fall asleep. Then I get into bed and I, and I go to sleep like five minutes later because I'm basically already, I'm walking asleep into the bedroom. And I carry you into the bed, officer <laughs> in a gentleman style. Yeah. But all the other times, like, I'm tired, so let's go to sleep. 
Even though I'm tired, so I've decided to go to sleep, I don't go to sleep straight away. It takes me, it used to take me longer. Now it takes me about, on average, probably 20 minutes to go to sleep. But I can be awake like an hour and still not have gone to sleep. And that, for me, I don't class it as I can't sleep until it's probably got to an hour because... That's just normal. That's normal for, for me, yeah. trying to get to sleep for 20 minutes, half an hour. Whereas you, it's like you go to sleep straight away. I've never been able to do that. If I don't have to wake up for anything and I'm really tired, I can, like you said, just lay down and pretty much fall asleep within the next 10 minutes. It's crazy. Sleep is very strange, though, in terms of why is it that we need to sleep? And why is it that you can die if you go long enough without sleep? I think the idea is that sleep fulfills two important functions. It gives your body a lengthy period of stillness, of inactivity, where it can kind of heal itself and grow and blah, blah, blah. And when you... Yeah. And when you have... REM sleep where you dream it allows your mind to process things that happened during the day or that have happened to you in the past and so I think although they don't fully understand why it is that if you go like you know 15 days without sleeping you'll die I think the idea is that some combination of being insufficient in either of those two areas will just cause your body to give out I think it's probably a combination of your body hasn't rested but now your body's also anxious because it can't sleep right that combination of not being able to rest and everything's speeding up because you're so anxious it's probably just like fatal well I'm you- sure that it's much more in depth and complex than that but your body does actually force you to go to sleep at a certain point once you get to like seven or eight days continuous awakeness you experience something called micro sleeps which is where your brain just shuts off yeah and it puts you to sleep for like five ten minutes at a time and that's your brain desperately trying to claw back some of the sleep it needs even though it can't put you out completely for like a full eight hours rest and so that's how we kind of know that the body actually wants this because i don't think that technically anyone has ever died from lack of sleep you do sometimes hear those weird news stories of some kid in china stayed awake for six days straight playing world of warcraft and his heart gave out but i think that's always kind of a side effect like his kidneys gave out or his heart gave out or he had a stroke or something like that i think if i remember correctly the the reason why they think that you could theoretically die just from not having enough sleep even if everything else is healthy in your body is based on experiments on animals like if you keep a lab rat a wake long enough it just dies from lack of sleep and so from that they extrapolate to this must be the same yeah. for humans isn't it weird i feel like we need so much of it yeah i mean but some of us need more than others yeah i was gonna wink, say wink. like i was reading a thread on reddit the other day it was just how how many hours a night do you sleep and most people were saying eight or less 
a lot of people said five or six. Um, one guy was like every night, three to four hours. You do hear those weird anecdotes where it's like, oh, have you heard that Steve Jobs only got like three hours of sleep mm. at night and he was so productive and he was such a genius? And I do find that always very difficult to believe. I think if you're... I think what happens is, is you train your body to... Accept, accept less. Accept less. It's not that you now need less. It's that, look, yeah, accept less is the perfect way to say it. Because I'm sure your body is suffering in other ways. Um, it's very difficult for me to wake up if I've only had like six, six hours. Okay, what I was going to say is it's difficult for me to wake up if I've only had like six hours. I think six is is the key for me. If I've had less than six, there's no fucking way I'm waking up. You're like up. a zombie. If I've had six, I can just about get up if I have to do something. Like if I have an appointment or a family obligation that I can't get out of, I will get up. The house is on fire. If it's anything else and I can get out of it, I will. Because the power of like your alarm going off, you've only had six hours, I, f I can't get up. I cannot get up. The power of that need to go back to sleep is overpowers everything. Yeah, overpowers almost everything. Unless you know you have to sh like shoot up and get up and start getting ready, you just will not. I will not do it. My sweet spot is ten to twelve hours. Yeah. now that's basically what I'm accustomed to. <laughs> like that's like I feel tired still if I only get nine. God, you're such a princess. No, I don't want it to be like, you know. But yeah, that is the reality I'm in right now. Oh, God, I hate when you're asleep and the door goes and I have to shoot up yeah. and go get the delivery. Because you're seriously, like, basically still asleep. Like, if you talk to me, I would just mumble yeah. and not understand what you were saying and not be able to look at you properly. But somehow I find a way to make my body get up stride over to the door sign for the package put the package down and then walk back over to the bed and lay back down it sounds like those you're thankful we have such a small apartment you don't have to yeah. like go downstairs go through all the rooms like you just have to walk out the bedroom and the front i do side. wish we had mailboxes though like we did yeah. in london where they could just put the package in there mm. if you weren't there to sign for it i am and God, is there anything worse than the sound of an alarm clock? Like, it becomes ingrained in you as this hateful, hateful noise. Where even if I hear the sound of my phone alarm just in the middle of the day when I set, like, a timer or something, it makes my fists clench. It makes my teeth grit. It, it has this effect on my body where it just makes me angry and irritable. Anyone with an iPhone will know the dreaded eh, 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 noise that they have. It's just called alarm because that's like the universal yeah. sound. Before I started sleeping like with this newer medication the last year or two for like 12 hours, we used to nap a lot. Do you remember? Yeah. Like, in fact, it was like a thing of ours that we would often just be like, do you want to take a nap? And we could nap for like... Anywhere between two hours and, like, five hours was a nap. And we don't really do it that much anymore. 
if we're switching cycle between like sleeping in the day and sleeping in the night, there will always inevitably come a day where we're trying, we're that close to switching back to whatever cycle we want to switch back to that we need to take a nap. And that's yeah. pretty much the only time that we but nap. But that's a functional nap. Yeah. It has utility. Yeah. But I can't nap anymore because I'm used to when I go to sleep, my body knows it's going to sleep for 12 hours. It's very difficult for me to wake up unless I've had the 12 hours and then for whatever reason, halfway through the day, I'm sleepy. Yeah. Then I could nap. But if I've been awake 10 hours, there's no way. The other thing for me is, as we've talked about before, not on the podcast, just in general, yeah. there are certain meals I have that just <laughs> knock me out afterwards. It's like a food coma. And there's like a two-thirds chance that I'm going to just have to crash onto the bed and take a nap afterwards. Spaghetti bolognese. Yeah, when I have like heavy <laughs> pasta meals, you just feel so zonked by yeah. the, all this like heavy pasta inside of you that it just makes me sleepy and yeah. makes me just I, I basically can't function because i'm so full and it's so like dense and starchy inside you that it, it just shuts me down yeah it doesn't help that we usually eat in the last part of the day anyway that combined with like the really heavy hearty meal of like a pasta meal just sunks you you're always like basically like 10 minutes after you've eaten you're like I need to go. I need to lie down. I need to go. It's a combination of feeling so full from the pasta and just so like content and yeah. like. You're like a cat that yeah. wants to curl up after drinking its saucer of milk. I can push through it sometimes if I make myself like have a cup of tea or a cup yeah. of coffee. That wakes me up a bit. But otherwise, I'm, I'm heading for <laughs> oblivion. This is not really sleep, but I guess it's sort of in the realm of sleep. But being put to sleep, like anesthesia, is really weird. Weirder than sleep. Because I don't really know the science behind it, but it doesn't put you to sleep in that in the sense that you can dream and it's like when you go to sleep at night. It's like jumping through time because nothing is happening in your brain. And I obviously don't know, like, if that's actually true in terms of, like, science. You're not a neurologist. <laughs> but it is, like, jumping for a person, like, you don't, like, it's, I've gone through it twice. And each time it really is just... Your body I'm falling shuts off. In, they tell you to count from back from 10 or whatever. Or they, I think they actually told me to count to 10, which is weird, I thought. It's never like in the movies. <laughs> um... You start counting and then you're asleep and then you're awake straight after. There's nothing in between. And that's scary because I don't know how long I was under for four hours, six hours, like two days. That's insane. Yeah. Like what's happening? It doesn't feel right. It makes me wonder if that's what death is like. But you don't wake up at the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're not dreaming. You don't wake up again. It's just counting down and then you're asleep. There is that old philosophical aphorism that why are you afraid of death when you've been rehearsing for it every night of your life? Because when mm. you have a dreamless sleep, 
you close your eyes and you're blanketed with blackness, just no thought, no brain activity. And then you open your eyes again at the end. But for that middle period, you didn't suffer. You didn't wonder, why can't I think right now? I'd like to go back to normal waking life. You were just gone as if you mm. didn't exist, like before you were born. I don't think that's true, though, in terms of like, it's like sleep. I don't think, because there are times when you have dreams that you desperately want to get out of but can't wake up. Like, I often have nightmares and I come to you and I say, I couldn't wake up. I sometimes half asleep call you in and say, I can't wake up because I'm half asleep, but I'm awake enough to say, help me wake up. And then you help me wake up. There's also, I don't think I've ever gone to sleep and woke up. I mean, there are times when, say for instance, you go to sleep knowing you have to wake up at a certain time, which is common for a lot of people because they have to go to work or school or whatever. But they know they're only going to get like six hours sleep because they've gone to bed late. And then they wake up feeling like they haven't really slept because so little time has passed. That's happened to me. But I think even when that's happened to me, I've still dreamt or I've still known I was asleep and that six hours has gone by. I've never woken up thinking I only just went to sleep and nothing has happened. I can't really relate to that because I do have... As far as I can tell, and obviously, like we talked about before, sometimes you don't remember your dreams, so I'm very fallible in this regard. I'm not acquainted with all the relevant facts. But I do often have nights where it feels like I didn't dream at all. I just went to sleep and I woke up, and in between was nothingness. In between was the complete void of no sensory input, no thought, no ideation. That doesn't happen to me ever. Even when I wake up and can't really remember my dreams, I'll know a sense of like, oh, I had weird dreams or I know I had, I have a feeling of like I had bad dreams, but I can't really tell you what they were about. Yeah. Like I never wake up thinking I didn't dream. Or nothing happened. Maybe that's your superpower. Yeah. (laughs) You're my dream girl. (laughs) With the power to always dream. Sure. You were actually the inspiration for Martin Luther King's famous speech. She has a dream every night. Well, that song we were singing earlier. I had a dream. I had a dream of times gone by. But now the dream is dead. (laughs) And we are just French peasants again. Etc. So everyone knows what it is now. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me you haven't seen Les Miserables? Les Les Miserables? Les Miserables? Let's Miserables? Let's be miserable? Is that what it translates as? I think you'll find it's Les Miserables. Les Mis. How do you say Les Mis? People just say Les Mis. We've slowly... We've offended the French. I'm sure of it. Okay. Let's move on. To our next topic. I think we should probably round this one out. Round it out. This is an article that I've been meaning to bring up the last, like, two episodes. (laughs) But we always run out of time. 
I don't I know why that's relevant. I hate when people say running out of time when it comes to like internet content. We've said because I'm we've like, there's no time limit. You could post a 16 hour video, but saying we're running out of time because it's gone 20 minutes long or whatever is so ridiculous. Yeah, but the difference is the podcast were already four hours long, and I had another article yeah, to bring up. I get that. And at that point, it's kind of like I'll just carry it over to the next yeah. one. Yeah. And here we are. Okay, give me the topic. Okay, so it's an article on the Guardian believe it or not, Chakara, it or not, entitled What I Learned About Our Attitude to Homeless People When I Was on the Streets. And this woman recounts how she embedded herself with a group of homeless people and saw the hardships they have to endure and the abuse they suffer at the hands of random members of the public. And she is just kind of pulling this before the reader and asking them to try and imagine what it must be like to have people kick and spit at you just because you don't have a home and you have to sleep on street corners and in front of stores and on park benches. And she just recounts all this horrific abuse and violence that homeless people have to deal with on top of the fact that they have absolutely no sense of safety or security in their lives they have no money to buy the things that they need they don't have any support from any kind of government organizations they're completely by themselves even when they band together with other homeless people ultimately they still have to look after themselves they they are responsible for finding the food for that day for finding where they're going to sleep etc etc And it was just very affecting in terms of when you really think about how disgusting it is that people treat this strange, exiled underclass of our society, the homeless. People call them the homeless instead of homeless people, as if the homeless is the name of this separate race that Mm. we tolerate occupying our gutters and our parks and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I just want to talk about how weird it is that society so badly mistreats people purely on the basis of they are unwashed and they don't have a home and they have to beg for money. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. I, When you think, make yourself think about homeless people because on a really real level, as someone who has a home, it's not something I think about all day, every day. And that's trying to be honest. Yeah. Like, I feel like you usually think about it when you see someone who's homeless or you read an article about it. Do you know what I mean? Unless, of course, you are like an activist who that's their job or you work in that area. I feel like it's not on your mind all the time. Yeah. Which is sad, obviously. So when you really think about it, it's horrendous. I don't understand how in, like, the Western world there are homeless people. And I know, obviously, there's a a very small section of homeless people that are homeless for reasons like... Because they're, like, against the system and stuff and they don't want to take, like... It's kind of voluntary homelessness. But for the majority, it's because they have to be. And I don't understand how there's not, like, way more 
like benefits for people to help them get back to yeah. like having their own home yeah you know um and i don't know obviously know all like the rules behind things but you know i know that sometimes it's hard to get benefits because you if you don't have an address it's difficult to get yeah. certain things and obviously certain benefits are only given out if you're looking for work and it's like it's hard to be looking for work when you don't have a home to go to or a change of clothes yeah or food. so i remember i'd obviously seen homeless people like a lot growing up but i remember going to london when i was for my 21st birthday and it was the first time i'd ever really gone to london if that makes sense like I'd been before on like a school trip and I'd driven through there, but I'd never really walked through the streets of London, if that makes sense. And I remember being really shocked at the amount of homeless people, especially towards the latter half of the day, like as we were like leaving London and going to like the train station, people had started to, like, take up their beds and stuff yeah. in, like, shop doorways and, like, the side of the road and whatever. And it it was shocking. It was really shocking. And so it's not like there's not... It's not like being homeless is a rare occurrence. There's obviously a lot of people that are homeless. And so it does baffle me. It just baffles me. That there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Being in London, especially living in London where you're exposed to it every day, it is so much more conspicuous. It's completely unignorable because if you leave your house, you are going to see a lot of homeless people. Whereas there are some places you can live in England, like little villages or smaller cities or whatever it is, the suburbs, because obviously in central yeah. London where we lived, it's even more prevalent, where you can kind of go without seeing that many homeless people mm. in certain situations. But, for example, when I would walk to and from university, it's about 50, 60 minutes each way. And it's no exaggeration to say that each way... I was passing, and this is just the ones that I see, because obviously I'm not seeing everything as I'm walking, but you would literally pass at least a dozen, a dozen and a half homeless yeah. people begging for money. And that's, it becomes like a central feature of the city almost, because it sticks out so much to you and it attracts so much attention. And then you put in a weird situation where you can't give money to every homeless person that you pass yeah well most people can't yeah i'm just talking about when we were in london if i gave say even if i gave each of them what 50p if i pass 10 homeless people and that would be a very light day each way of my walk that means each day i'm giving 10 pound but then if i don't give the 50p to all of them and i just pick the ones that are that look the most destitute the neediest like how do you make that moral decision how do you balance that ethical calculus who are you to choose which of the homeless people that you encounter are the ones who deserve the small amount of money you're able to give the most and so it becomes like an unworkable situation I feel like you get to a point where you almost cut yourself off. Like, 
passing so many homeless people like in a day and then every day you're right it's unless like <clears throat> we were not in a position really to just stop and give everyone a certain amount of money yeah well i was walking that long distance to and from university because we couldn't really afford for me to get the tube yeah. every day it do yeah so you see it and it makes you upset or at least i know like it would make me upset sometimes that you almost do kind of cut yourself off a little bit because if you let yourself think about it like for instance like if i've given a homeless person something and then you feel good that you've been able to give someone something and then you round the corner and there's another homeless person and because you've given something already you can't give again exactly it's like but why was that really, first person more deserving? Maybe it's just because they were the first person you exactly, saw. Yeah. Maybe it's because it was a woman. Maybe it's because they had a dog. There's Maybe no it's because good reason. There's no like, whatever. Maybe it's because they were asking. Maybe it's because they weren't asking. Maybe it's because it was winter. Like, there's so many reasons, and it is like difficult to pass and not like I've had thoughts of like. Am I a shit person because I don't ask this homeless person to come home with me? I've had thoughts like that. Okay. I don't know this person. I don't owe this. Like, you can't go for life thinking that you just owe people who have less than you things because that's not the way it works. But I have had those thoughts, especially when it seems like they're extra vulnerable. Like, maybe it's obvious that they have, like, a mental health issue or it's a woman. Like, I remember we would often pass a pregnant woman who was homeless in London. And it was really horrible to see. Like, and I've had that thought of passing people and being like, what would happen if I invited them home? Yeah. Even if it was just for one night, like, I could just give them shelter give them a hot bath, change of clothes, a meal. But I don't think, I mean, but then like the fear sets in of like, what if it backfires in some kind of way? Or like... Well, we also didn't have like a spare room. No, but... We lived in a tiny apartment. No, but at the same time, I'm sure some homeless people wouldn't care. They'd have a shelter, like a shelter, especially in the winter. I've had that thought, but it's like, where does it stop? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to invite all 10 homeless people to come and live with you? Like, so then you get angry at like the people who are supposed to be taking care of this. I don't know. It's weird because it's like, you want to be able to do something, but I don't know what you can do. Short of like inviting them home. Dedicating your life to homeless charities. And I like to think, obviously, if I had more, that I would give more. I really do believe that. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of making me upset. Yeah, it is upsetting because you do feel that obligation to help because you have that compassion towards your fellow man who's suffering, who's going through this great hardship who's enduring a difficult struggle that you can barely even imagine. 
but like we were mentioning earlier, you can't give money to every homeless person you see unless you're obviously rich. And so you start to harden yourself to seeing mm. homeless people and you end up just not giving to any mm. homeless people you see. And that's not a good outcome either. So it's like an unwinnable situation because how do you pick and choose without feeling like I chose not to give to them for mm. what is essentially a non-reason? I think also as well, some people let the minority turn them against the majority of homeless people in terms of like, you know, there's the type of homeless person that approaches you, asks you for money, and then there's the type of homeless person that just sits there and doesn't even have a sign. They just sit there. And some people get very scared of, like, people approaching them and, you know... And this is even rarer that someone might harass you for something. I feel like usually in my experience, you get asked and when you say no or you can't or you just keep walking, it's ended. But there's the rare occasion where they kind of harass you a little bit. Or you pass them again in a few minutes because you've just gone to the shop and they're still there and they ask you again. People get put off by that. I think also people tend to lump in like drug addicts who ask you for money like drug addicts who aren't homeless who ask you for money and they're all kind of just lumped in together because you can't always tell you don't know what the situation is and a lot of people just then say well no like i'm not giving to any of you because i don't i don't know and so a lot of what people's way of thinking is well they're just going to spend it on drugs and alcohol anyway so i'm not giving to them or whatever like There's a place here near the supermarket where there's, like, a few either homeless people or, I don't know, alcoholics or drug addicts. It's hard to tell whether they're addicts who are homeless or just homeless people who are or just addicts. Like, you don't know unless you just don't ask someone. You don't know. You can try and judge a situation. They don't have, like, a homeless card they can show you. Yeah, exactly. And I've been in the supermarket, like, late at night with my mum and... Because there's hardly anyone in there, they will come in and ask you and just kind of, like, approach you. And I've had the cashiers, like, say to me and my mum, don't give them money, they'll just spend it on alcohol. And my mum's like, well... You don't know that, first of all. Yeah, but she says to me, like, when we've, like, gone away, who cares if they're going to spend it on drugs and alcohol? Like, they're homeless, like... You do what you do got to do to get yourself through the day and right. night, you know? Like, it's not my business. If Obviously, some people are uncomfortable fueling that or, like, whatever. I'm not. Like, I don't care. Like, if someone asks me for a pound and I'm able to give them a pound, I'm not then thinking I don't want to give them a pound in case it goes towards the heroin. Like, they're homeless, for God's sake. Like, they do what they've got to do to get through and... If what they've got to do is that, then so be it. Yeah, you have to be pretty callous to, on the basis of this possibility, and that's all it is, you don't have no idea ultimately, this possibility that they might spend it in a way you don't approve of or in a way that is quote-unquote harmful to them. You're not going to give them money, which they could possibly have used for food 
or to buy a, a night in a homeless shelter or a homeless hostel or whatever. It's just so cold-hearted to take that stance of because this might be the reason that they're asking for money. And like you said, that's not even a good enough excuse to not give them money. But because this might be the reason, I'm going to completely shut down mm. any contributions to homeless people that I make. And yeah, like you said, there are homeless people who do end up harassing people. And that does leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And they, it does kind of turn them against the idea of helping. And if I was a small woman walking down a dark road alone and some homeless person came out of nowhere and started following me and asking for money and telling me this story and pressing me and, you know, I would feel unsafe. I would feel a little threatened, unsure about what's going to happen. And in that situation, maybe that woman comes away from it feeling like, okay, I don't want anything to do with this anymore because this situation happened that made me kind of uncomfortable. And I, I get that that makes sense and that's reasonable. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who have really stupid, shitty reasons for not wanting to help homeless people. There are a lot of people who read the tabloids and there's always a story every couple of weeks of professional homeless people raking in hundreds and hundreds of pounds every week. And they have these elaborate criminal gangs that are fleecing people out of all this money and people think well they're all just doing that they're all people who are actually living in homes that have like cars that they use to drive to their homeless spots and beg for this money that they don't actually need and so they use even though it's completely ludicrous it's completely implausible that this accounts for even a significant portion of homeless people they take this infuriating idea that maybe the homeless people are conning people and they use that as their retroactive explanation for why they don't give homeless people money when they pass them and the funny thing is i was reading a george orwell book down and out in paris and london which is a really fascinating read and he mentions how, and this is a hundred years ago, there would be these stories in the newspapers about beggars that had thousands and thousands of pounds sewn into their trousers from all their accumulated money from conning people and how this had become like a popular canard that people propped up as the reason for why you shouldn't give to begging homeless people. And it's just in a way funny but also infinitely dispiriting to see that the exact same ridiculousness is happening a century later in basically the exact same way where these nonsense stories are giving people this thing that they can hold up to justify why they have this indignant refusal to give to any beggars sidebar why does it have to be a small woman <laughs> I can't believe that's what you took from everything I just said. I took a lot of things from what you I'm just, just said. saying, like, in that... I'm not saying that's the only time you would feel threatened. I'm just saying, like, here's a scenario. I get what you're trying to say, but I wanted to touch upon it for people who don't read between the lines okay. of things. Like, I wasn't saying that only small women yeah. ever feel threatened in I get what you mean, uncertain situations. I just felt like I should mention it. <laughs> um... 
yeah, no, it is pretty bizarre. Some people's solution as well to what we were saying in the beginning is to then not give money to maybe give like a sandwich or yeah. a cup of coffee because then they choose what it's spent on. But that's such a like microaggression, if that's the right term. I feel <laughs> it's, an it's interesting like I'm going to help you, but I'm going to I'm going to. It's only going to be in a very specific way. And I mean that's fine. Obviously, the person is getting help then you get stories of like well i offered a homeless man a chicken sandwich but he told me he was vegetarian and it's like if he's homeless he would eat any if he was really like starving he would eat anything and i'm like well he'd eat the dirt off my shoes yeah like it's that type of thinking of like you're homeless you, you take act what, this way yeah that i think you should have to act exactly which is is that type of thinking that like leads you down the path of like treating people like they have no identity of any kind like they have no rights of any no kind worth. it's like no that person just ended up you could end up there so exactly, easily yeah. and i think people need to put themselves into other people's shoes a bit more because i don't understand why anyone would just like automatically treat Someone who you know has nothing, just like shit. Like, yeah. why is that funny? Like, if someone asks you for something and you don't want to be approached and you're upset that they approached you, just keep walking. Just say no and keep walking. You don't have to... You don't have to turn around and fucking be a dick. It's like, do you know how hard it must be to go up to strangers and ask them for money and food? And constantly, especially in a city like London, how many people they ask and how many people say no. Yeah. Do you know how hard that there's? You see people who don't ask, and there's probably lots of reasons why they don't ask, but I'm sure that's one of them. Because that constant rejection and like being made fun of and just being shit upon, even more than you already feel shit upon on top of being homeless, is too much to take. I don't know why anyone would do that. Yeah, it's sometimes very difficult to understand how people can be so monstrously cruel to these people who are, like you said, the most vulnerable, the most put upon, the mm -hmm. most disadvantaged people in our society. And something that was mentioned in this article that I feel like I have to read it out loud because it just really made my blood boil at how horrific it is okay she mentions how in the hours of darkness it's open season on homeless people it's a common sport for drunk club goers to urinate on them as they sleep aside from the fact that it's disgusting it has a further consequence that person now has no usable bedding no laughing matter in winter and the idea that people are so heartless and so inhumanly cruel that they would urinate on someone, thus destroying the only blankets and clothing they have. And obviously, like she mentions, in winter, that could potentially kill them. They could freeze to death because they don't have any proper bedding. But 
the fact that you could view someone as so unworthy of respect and compassion, you could make them so subhuman in your mind. It just is enraging and baffling in equal measure. I don't know how you get there. I don't know how, what happens to you that you just think it's funny to like piss on someone. Like, why? Yeah, that's my response. Even as if well. you think it's funny, which again, I don't know how you get there. You have absolutely no compassion and empathy if you can do that. Like, what is wrong with you? I can't relate to that type of person. Anyone who would look at me and be like, but it's funny, lol, and I'm drunk. No, like, I can't imagine ever being like, my brain is so like, I don't really know what to say about that other than I don't understand it. I don't, it's horrible. And I don't understand how someone could do that. Because it's really just the ter- like the worst of the worst. Like why you would ever think that's funny or like be friends with someone who thinks that's funny. It has such a trickle down effect as well. Like aside from the fact that like you're making them feel horrible and you've ruined their bedding, they now smell of urine and it's going to be harder for them to approach people. Or just to go into places. To go, yeah. Because obviously, you know, yeah, because there's already, like, you know, companies and stuff that will kick you out if you look homeless. You haven't even, you've just entered, you haven't even done anything yet. You might be buying something and they just tell you to leave. But if you then smell of urine or whatever, or your clothes look a certain way, it's going to be harder for you to move throughout the day it's going to be harder for you to get those like few pounds that you might have otherwise gotten it's i don't understand it's horrible i want a better response to it but i don't have one that is the appropriate response i think it's just bewildering it's an incomprehensible level of inhumanity and just callous cruelty that just doesn't make sense i mean it would suggest to me that you're some kind of sociopath i don't know how else to explain it how could you be a normal good person and yet even intoxicated like you don't become another person just because you've had a few drinks i don't understand how you could reconcile the fact that someone did that with the reality that they are somehow also a good person it doesn't make any sense to me that person is a scumbag as far as i'm concerned I mean, I guess, like you were saying earlier, it's so strange to see that even people who aren't homeless but are poor, who are struggling, people who are living paycheck to paycheck where if they were to get fired, they would probably lose their home. So they are not in a situation of wealth and security from which to look down and spit upon these homeless people. But somehow they still find a way to summon up this hatred for homeless people. Because I don't know what else you can call it when people shout abuse at them and hit them and throw things at them. I mean, I know I'm not the first person to bring this up as a possible explanation. But there is this whole idea of 
people who are poor themselves and who are at risk of becoming homeless if they were to become fired from their job. They look at homeless people and they're so afraid of that happening to them that they kind of transform that fear into hatred because that's the only way that they can deal with how strong those emotions are. They look at this and they find it so loathsome and so frightening that it manifests itself in this negative emotion towards this. Not even the person, but what the person represents, this possibility for yourself. I think that is a thing that does happen. And it's a tale as old as time in that people... It's like bullies. Often people bully you because they're seeing something in you that they don't like in themselves or that they fear themselves turning into or they're jealous. It's always one of those things. And that then manifests of like, I hate you and I'm going to treat you like shit because I don't want you anywhere near me. And that's what obviously then certain people then take that out on those homeless people. And like, I I don't get why you would like, I don't really understand that way of thinking though. I know it is true. It's just, I hate that so many people, that happens with so many people. Like, and also there are so many hateful people. I don't understand how they got to be that way. I mean, I do. I guess really what I mean is I just wish they had not got that way. Yeah. It's like, why can't you just leave people alone? It's like the hateful people have that extra thing in them that makes them actually then act out that hate. It's like, well, can't, if you if you hate or you don't like something, just don't like it from afar. Like, why do you have to... I get maybe if, like, if, if it's because they approached you and asked you for something, but why do you have to, like, why can't you just say no and walk away? Why do you have to do something? And a person, it might just be sleeping and you're just then going to piss on that person? That's disgusting. Because you are disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I kept this topic to the end because I knew it was going to bum us out. I feel like it always just puts these topics always just put us in a state of like deep reflection. Yeah. And like anger at these elements of society who would mistreat uh, the most vulnerable, the most disadvantaged people amongst us. Yeah. I don't know what to do. You mean you haven't come up with a solution for homelessness no. in the last 25 minutes? I have these fantasies of, like, one day being, like, really rich and successful. And, like, just buying, like, properties and then filling it with, like, homeless right. people. But I don't even think that's something that... Because... I feel like if you start, like, I like to think I'd be that type of person if I was really rich. Like, I don't know how you walk past a person if you do actually really have the means to give them what they need and not give them what they need. I think the idea is that a person in that position would be enacting much more benefit to homeless people in general if they donated that money to a homeless charity. Instead of giving 10,000 homeless people a pound each, 
you give ten thousand pounds to a homeless shelter. Yeah, but charities aren't perfect. Yeah, you know they. Not all of them do what they're gonna say they do, right. and not all of them are going to help and benefit everyone. Like a lot of them are still gonna have these weird stipulations of like, in order to get what we can give you, you have to come in and do this, or yeah. you know, you have to be a certain age, even. Like I'm sure there are charities that only specialize in young people or old people or whatever. Like. There's always going to be homeless people that fall through the cracks for whatever reason. So I don't think that that idea of like, we'll just give to charity. Because I also don't think it, it directly, it's not going to directly affect that guy I always see outside the shop when I go past. Like, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like you see a story. You know, like if you pass the same homeless, like when we lived in London... I feel like sometimes we would pass the same homeless people over and over again because that was, like, their spot. And you'd almost see, like, a story. I remember seeing a woman. I don't even remember this. And because I feel like there were only several women, where it's mostly men, that we saw. And... I remember seeing her and she had clearly been either beaten up or, like, in a fight. And so, like, seeing her, like, day after day and then all of a sudden seeing her with, like, a beat-up face, it's like you see a story. And that's not any different than, like, seeing the person at work that you don't know but you see them every day at work Whereas if they came to work with, like, a black eye or they were beaten up, I feel like you wouldn't say nothing. And so why do you say nothing when it's a homeless person? Yeah, it's a good question. Because they're both strangers. Except one you know has a job and presumably a house. And so what, that makes them any more kind of, like, legit in your eyes? Like, makes them safer somehow? I think there's this subconscious idea that homeless people are already in such a desperate, destitute situation. They already have it so bad that they're almost kind of out of bounds for that normal intervention, for that normal offering of Like they can't help. be trusted, you mean? No, I mean, like, how are you going to help this beat-up homeless woman? The person at work you can talk to and and hopefully they'll confide with you and you can direct them towards the police or a charity for battered women or or to your manager at work or whatever the situation is. Whereas what are you going to do with the homeless woman? Short of inviting, like you said earlier, and short of doing something which is generally infeasible, like inviting her to stay with you permanently, how are you going to help resolve that situation for her? She doesn't have that foundation that she can rely on once you've kind of given her a little push in the right direction to get help. But whatever happened to just talking to someone? Right, okay, Part that's of fair. my point was, like, you might, you would probably go up to that colleague and be like, oh, no, what happened? Like, are you okay? Whereas you wouldn't with the homeless person. And that's what I mean, like... I've gone up to strangers before, like if like a woman, for instance, crying 
I've gone up to that woman crying and said, are you okay? But I feel like most people probably wouldn't do that if it was a homeless person. But they might if it was just like the woman in the bookshop or something. Yeah, that was kind of my my point is basically like, they're almost like museum exhibits behind glass. Like there's this emotional distance between you and them where they're like a separate class of person. And that's why I think people feel like I could just go up to that like normal person. I'm doing sarcastic air quotes Mm. on the tube who's crying, but the homeless woman who's crying, they feel so separate from them. And they feel like that person is so, like I said, just kind of out of bounds from being able to be interacted with like you would anyone else. That, And I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying it kind of gives you that excuse of like, yeah. oh, that's sad. That homeless woman is crying. But I can't give her this miraculous help in all aspects of her life that she would probably need to resolve whatever bad situation is causing her to cry right now. And so I think that's gives people the impetus to just keep walking. I know. I understand what you're just saying. I'm just, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm just. You just wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. Yeah, I agree. Like that. If you're going to go up to a stranger, you're going to go up to a stranger. It shouldn't matter that one is homeless and one is not. But sadly, that is the way it is usually for the most part. That's what I was talking about earlier. That's why, and again, this is not me trying to make it about me or quote unquote the person Mm. who's seeing the homeless person. I'm not trying to be like, oh, woe is they. Though that is specifically what we're talking about in terms of this topic. We're talking about why do people react a certain way to homeless people. This is the only side of the equation that we can talk about. Yeah. And my point is just, if you are a normal, compassionate person, you see a homeless person in a bad situation and you feel compassion towards them, you feel that urge towards wanting to help, wanting to show them kindness, wanting to give them what you can. But because you can't do that systematically, because you see too many homeless people each day, like I said, especially when you live in somewhere like London, a big metropolis that has a very large homeless population, it means that your compassion is constantly being frustrated because you can't help every single person. And that means that when you see homeless people going onwards, you have kind of a complicated emotional reaction. I don't know what that necessarily amounts to, but I think it's possibly a motivating factor for why some people have these strange reactions. I think also that mix of like emotions and that push and pull of what you feel you should do, what you want to do and what you can do is why most people fall into that. Well, I just give some homeless people something sometimes. Yeah. Because it's difficult to give everyone something. It's all impossible the time. unless you're fabulously wealthy. Yeah. And there's also obviously that over extreme where you just detach yourself completely and don't do anything. So I guess that's something that hopefully most people fall into that middle part. There's no perfect answer. There's no... we have anyway. Yeah, there's no perfectly good way to deal with it. But I guess at the end of the day, you shouldn't be worrying about you trying to be a good person. Like, 
if I don't give to every homeless person I see, does that make me a bad person? I guess ultimately you should not be thinking about it in terms of how it affects you. You should just be thinking, it sucks that I can't give to every homeless person. But I think the ultimate, like, fuck you is to homeless people when they put shit on shit. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. When they put things <laughs> well put. on their flat surfaces... So people can't sleep there. Do you know what that's I called? Understand. The technical term. What? This is a really stomach-turning term. What? It's called defensive architecture. Fuck you. Yeah, that's, is what I fucking that's how I feel about it as well. I can understand not as a company or a business not wanting people milling around or sleeping on your doorstep while your business is in operation, like during the day. But... At night, when everyone's gone home and no one's there except the homeless person who needs to lie down. Next to the warm grate. Yeah. I don't understand why you would prevent that. Yeah. Because I'm also pretty sure most homeless people, as soon as those doors open and there's traffic, they're going to move anyway. Yeah, they have so, to. And the security will come and tell them to move. Like, I don't know why you'd prevent... like. It's just, it's sickening. It's sickening. Like, to be that guy who says, I want you to build something out the front that has, like, spikes on it so no one can sit there or no one can lie there. Fuck you. Fuck you. That's what I say. It really makes me so angry. It's treating... It's ridiculous. Sorry. Simmer down a little bit. Get carried away. It's treating people as if they're vermin. The same spikes yeah. that you would put on the top of your building to try and deter pigeons mm. or the same coverings you'd put on little apertures into the building to deter rats. You're doing the same thing when you put those spikes on the walls around your building or you put those spikes in the doorway of your shop, etc., etc. You're treating them like this nuisance, like this, this thing that simply needs to be deterred, that needs to be shunned, that needs to be forced away from you and your business i don't understand it at all yeah <laughs> like because especially like when no one's there like no one's yeah. there just let them sleep in your fucking doorway dude it's like taking away the benches as well so like people can't like well they do do that they make sloped benches or they make benches benches that without curve. backs benches yeah. that cur- it's like, yeah. what are you expecting these people to do? They need to sleep somewhere. Yeah. You're almost baiting them to break in somewhere yeah. because you've taken away all the shelter and all the flat services. So now their only option is to just be out in the cold and the flat or if they're so desperate, they might break in somewhere. Nobody wants that. That's the least of what anyone wants. So I don't know why. I don't know why. You're putting them into an impossible position. And in this article, she talks with this guy who says, because begging is criminalized, he will get pulled up before a magistrate for begging and then given this huge fine. And he's in this surreal kind of Kafka-esque situation where he has to say, I'm sorry, Your Honor, but I now have to go back out and beg in order to get the money to pay this fine. And then you're going to wrote me in here again and the cycle just continues endlessly you're pulling these people in a situation where they can't possibly win they're just mm. constantly being victimized by the system or being victimized by callous heartless people out there and so that's why it's just so 
baffling and infuriating that this exists in a society as wealthy and as advanced as ours the fact that there are people out there who don't have enough food to eat that don't have enough water that freeze to death because they don't have a place to lay their head that's warm and secure Mm. that is completely and egregiously disgraceful and it's something that people should be marching in the streets about because you're only not as outraged as you should be because it's not someone you know if you imagine it's your sister or your mother or your uncle or your grandmother someone that you have that close connection to and Imagine that they starve to death because they have no money and they can't afford to eat and they're homeless. You would feel out of your mind with rage towards the society that had allowed this to happen. And I don't know what the answer is. Like we've discussed on previous podcasts, I do like the idea of universal basic income where you just establish that minimum level of support of financial aid where no one can starve to death because they don't have a couple of pound to buy some bread and no one goes about a home to sleep in like at night. heating freezing yeah. to death no one starves to death and no one freezes to death really is the minimum guys like i don't know what would be the perfect utopian scenario but i think a workable achievable advancement if in a progressive society would be that even if we have this capitalist system where there are always going to be winners and losers, we have it so there's always a floor that people can't fall beneath. There's always a safety net where even if you did get fired from your job, even if you made some bad financial decisions, you gambled away all your money, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, you never get to so low, so destitute, so downtrodden a point where you're freezing to death in the middle of a park because you can't afford to find somewhere to sleep that night i mean it seems like that is reasonable and i think that's very doable for a society with as much money as ours i agree and i think the thing that we always come up against is yeah but people will take advantage of it people will take advantage of it in terms of like universal income and you know, different types of benefits. People will just use it as an excuse not to have, like, ambitions or work. And it's like, yeah, but that's... Even if a lot of people did it, it would still be the minority. Yeah. You know, most people do have ambitions. Most people do want to work. Most, It's not that most people don't. And if things were... If the system was different and people actually had that baseline to go into what they wanted to do, more people would probably work. Like, lots of people don't want to because they don't want to do a job they don't want to do. Whereas if they had that basic income, they could train or they could have a longer period of time to figure out what they want. They could take risks. or Yeah, they could take more risks. The option is not to not do it because a few people might take advantage when the outcome of not doing it is that lots of people are homeless and they're starving to death and they're freezing to death and they're getting killed by idiots who want to like piss on them and like do horrible things sticks like throw rocks at them i don't know why that's the solution and why that's the the side of it that people fall on well there's that instinct of 
I have to maintain a nine to five job and it's hard and I don't want to do it. So these people, even though they might potentially die because they don't have shelter or food, they shouldn't get a free ride. And it's just so self-defeating and it's just so unfeeling that I don't really know how to respond to it. I hate people like that. (laughs) I've got to work, so you should too. It's people who get to that first level of security and safety and who want to pull the ladder up behind them because I've got here now and it was hard and other people should have to do it the hard way. And there's also that saying of the reason why socialism never took root in America is because the proletariat always see themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. The idea being that they want it to be possible that people can become rich because they think that later on in life they're going to become rich. And so they want that option to be maintained, to be preserved, even if it means that there have to be these losers in society who lost the rat race and who have now become this downtrodden, spit-upon underclass. They're willing to maintain that radical inequality if it means that hey maybe one day i can have a mansion and i can have all those ferraris and i can have all this money it's so gross yeah so now that i've thoroughly depressed us (laughs) let's wrap this up so yeah so yeah hello samantha or should i say bethesda hello bartholomew I think that script reading went very well. And it will go to only our most generous of Patreons. Yeah, yeah, fuck Patreon. Hey, if you want to give us money for free... No. I'm not going to turn it down. Not a good thing to say after the topic we just talked about. That's true. All the money you give to me on this non-existent Patreon, I'll funnel directly into homeless charities. Yeah. How about that? How about it? Give me the plugs. Give me the plugs. Give me the plugs. <clears throat> give me the plugs. Give me the plugs. Yeah. Earplugs. I think it's time to plug away, darling. Yes. Shall I read? I mean, uh, spontaneously <laughs> say all these things. At this point, it's pretty clear that I have a piece <laughs> of paper. Okay. Why is so. it written down on a piece of paper like it's 1945? That's a weird thing to say. Why 1945? I don't know. It just came out. Was that like a banner I, year for note taking? Do you know why it really annoys Post-war? me when like our moms have notes like and she's like actually crossing off a list? Like I know there's like a why satisfaction that in that. But I'm like just like she was going to the shop. I went over there. She was going to the shop and she was like, what do you want? She had to write like three things down and she wrote it on a piece of paper. And I'm like, just write it on your phone. I don't know why it bugs me so much. God, you're such a technology evangelist. It's such a weird thing to be momentarily annoyed by, but... It made your blood boil that she was using this primitive yeah. paper. She was carving it into stone. She was carving it into her leg. What is wrong with you? You said that at the beginning into of the, the very bone. episode. We've come all the way around. We've come full Have we gone back in time? Pretty much, yeah. Jeez. What if this is all a dream? I dreamed a dream of times gone by. That was very melodic. Sure. Okay, (laughs) so we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share. Enjoy it. (laughs) Or we'll find you. (laughs) Oh, we'll find you. Please share it with anyone else you think may like it. 
And after I just threatened to track you down, I'm sure you're not <laughs> going to. New episodes are released about two to three weeks after the last one. If you're lucky. And I'm not sure exactly when this episode we're recording right now is going to go up because Destiny 2 comes out tomorrow. Oh, yeah. So I think I will be too preoccupied doing that. <laughs> but it will come out soon enough. Soonish. Yeah. It will come out before we turn you gray. you get it when you get it. Yeah. I mean, it's free. You can't really complain. <laughs> you can complain if you want. That's true, yeah. You can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much all other podcast services. Or you can go to RTAP Podcast, which is A-R-T-A-T podcast.com, which currently directs to our SoundCloud page. Hashtag save SoundCloud. Hashtag we might not be here in a couple of weeks time. That's a long hashtag. This is all one hashtag. <laughs> Imagine if you could have inter hashtagged hashtags so like a like, hashtag something and then brackets hashtag something else yeah like a hashtag inside a hashtag yeah that would be meta and you know how us millennials love meta humor i sometimes just write the word hashtag w what like but then it doesn't work as a hashtag no i know but like instead of hashtagging something i actually just write the word hashtag <laughs> Okay. Okay, it doesn't sound funny when I say it out loud, <laughs> but I think it's funny when I do it, okay? I'm sorry I'm not giving you the response that God. you want. I'm pretty drained after speaking for four hours. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or you can send... Okay, so you can send any feedback or comments to rtatpodcast.gmail.com. Will... Email. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't know what to say about that. Which will surely delight our spam filter, who will infallibly catch your pleasant comments yeah, yeah, and scathing criticism. There's a hook coming out of the side of the stage to drag me <laughs> off right now. I'm going on for too long. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, which really helps podcasts. And if you want to follow us on social media, follow as us. Samantha yawns helpfully. Yeah. We're Art at Podcast on pretty much everything. Can you just follow us on <laughs> I mean, we've asked enough. <laughs> Haven't we suffered enough? Follow us. Follow us. Done in the tune of One of Us. One, one of, of us. us. One of Points us. Points for those references. Gable gobble. Gable gobble. One of us. One of us. If you get the reference... Send Email us, us a message. Yeah, and we'll get you a nice prize. No, we won't. Stop promising prizes. <laughs> I'm I'm prize mad. No, I thought we you could were send them a postcard from our delightful, sure. small English city. Okay, I guess. I mean, we won't even do that, to be honest. <laughs> we can send you an e-card. Yeah. Can you imagine sending someone an e-card? Like, I can't believe they exist, and people what send a weird those. Thing to say. I've had e-cards. Sometimes my brother used to send me e-cards for my birthday as like a lazy way, instead of sending me an actual card. But it's a very brother-sister thing to do. Because it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of like, I can't be bothered to get you a real card. I mean, like, e -card. if you had to send a condolences card because someone had died. You'd never send an e-card. And you sent, like, an e-card. You have to send a handwritten fucking tome. A you tome? You can't, like... 
What if he's like condolences? Here's six hundred like pages extra on special. my thoughts on your grief. You go and send some shitty fucking e card that goes to your junk box. You can't just stick a post it note through their letterbox. <laughs> Sorry for your last lol. Mean, I'm cutting you off. From what? Life? Yeah. That's murder. And just be me on the next podcast, guys. It's just going to be... Everyone t- tunes out <laughs> straight away. We have zero listens on that one podcast only. Sad. Inexplicably. Cries all the tears. N- next episode, it's just going to be you alone, but you're playing the role of yourself and Bethesda. Like you have Back multiple personality I disorder. Could that. That'd be my like, audition for... Broadway. <laughs> I dreamed a dream. I don't know the rest of the words. No one does. That's the no point. No one does. Yeah, I totally watched that. Like, I haven't seen the movie, but I watched just the clip of Anne Hathaway's character with her shaved head and her dirty face, like sing because they sang it live on film. So it's live. Like she sings it and she cries. And I'm not gonna lie, I fucking cried a tear. I cried a tear. For tears gone by. Yeah. It's years gone by, I think. But yeah, I don't uh, even know what the insane. film's about, honestly. How um, did you not get that I was making a joke? I cried. Anything makes me cry, though. That's because you're a wussy bag. I feel like I mentioned that in every podcast. I don't think you do. Oh. We have to go back and listen to all... No, I don't want to. ...however many hours there have been. Too many. 16 million hours. If you ask me. Yeah. She's wrestling my feet again. Yeah. This is the new... The new normal. This is the new normal. Send help. My feet are under attack. I've got them. I've separated the big one from the other four. You're never going the to toes, win. The toes, you mean? Yeah, you're never going to win. I shoot up a SRS flare. Your other foot has been disabled. Foot-shaped helicopters come over the horizon to save me. That makes no sense. What are they powered by? Yeah, you got no answer, have you? Foot juice. That's fucking gross. Toe grime. Ew, I'm cutting you off right now. Thank you for listening to our entertaining podcast. We hope you liked it. And if you didn't, I might cry. I should probably tell you about the music used during the intro and outro that was kindly provided by Christopher from soundslikeanearful.com. Our podcast art, which is really fucking cool, if you haven't seen it, and I'm sure you have, because how else would you not have seen it, um, was created by the talented Jake Contu. That's C-O-N-T... No, that's not... I'm. See, you can tell I'm reading something because I messed it up. Okay, our podcast art was created by Jake Contu, whose work you can find at Jake K-O-N-T-O-U dot artstation.com see you next episode